this is Jean-Francois Garapi, right, formerly a postdoc student at uh, Duke University, a prominent uh, YouTube figure beginning at late uh, 2017. But uh, largely since about midway to the end of 2018, he's largely just live-streamed on his own. And he's a walking, talking example of the dangerous powers of the e-personality as he's become increasingly isolated physically and, and socially and just fallen down a conspiracy rabbit hole to, to a depth that uh, I've just never seen people climb back out of. So hard-headed, still you know, got a lot of brains and uh, got, got a lot of uh, interesting and powerful critiques at times, just doesn't have the same level of entertainment that he had when he was much more social, when he was live-streaming with Andy Worski and a lot of other people. But uh, let's get a handle here on JF Garapi. Let's see how far he's fallen. These media, they publish stories that are true. They follow journalistic rules. But there's one thing that I see them systematically doing is discrediting any white nationalist movement, discrediting any white nationalist personality. And in fact, even before I was aware that you existed and that your book had been written in... Okay, that's uh, JF Garapi there talking to uh, Kevin McDonald from a few years ago. We'll go back to that in a second. Hey, this is from a live stream I did about a year at, ago. At uh, JF Garapi's channel. So he recently did a video on 10 reasons why Odyssey is better than YouTube. And JF is doing more and more of his shows on Odyssey instead of YouTube. And I think JF has a lot of good insights into various streaming platforms, how to make money as a live streamer in this type of space where you're offering news commentary. He also has interesting thoughts on producing the best quality shows, particularly how do you improve your sound quality. I think he's very smart, very educated in audio production and he has a PhD in neuroscience. He did postdoc work at uh, Duke University, I believe. So he's a very smart guy and he's been a significant trailblazer in doing internet blood sports. And uh, he's been hosting his own show almost daily for, for years. He makes his living from his show. So I think he has things to say. On the other hand, he is just so, so breathtakingly, breathtakingly off base at times. It just seems to have such reckless disregard for the truth that I want to discuss that a little bit. So. Let me catch my breath, play you a little bit from the latest Decoding Academia, number two from the Decoding the Guru's podcast, False Positive Psychology. First, extremely influential, cited thousands of times, called False Positive Psychology. Undisclosed flexibility in data collection and analysis allows some COVID contract. And it's just so incredibly reckless that he would base like his view on all vaccines uh, on this one study by someone who's uh, seems like quite a crank. So obviously I'm not an expert on vaccines. I'm not an epidemiologist. I'm not a virologist. I'm not a scientist. I don't have the level of education of JFKRP. And at the same time, I understand how you can change your views based on one paper. So, for example, I thought Kevin McDonald, with his trilogy on uh, on the Jews, I, I thought it was really interesting work, and I wanted to see an academic challenge to it. And finally, I did by Nathan Kofnis uh, three years ago, or four years ago now. And so Nathan Kofnis' perspective completely changed my perspective on Kevin McDonald and much of the alt-right. So prior to reading Nathan Kofnis, I had accorded many of the leading intellectuals on the alt-right with a moderate degree of respect. And then after I studied Kofnis, and I recognize how people like Richard Spencer said Kevin McDonald was the most important intellectual of the alt-right, and Greg Johnson, who said it was, it was Kevin McDonald that led him to, to white nationalism, how they wouldn't read Nathan Kofnis' paper, and how poorly their, their views on certain issues that have been dealt with in Nathan Kofnis' papers, how they stack up against Nathan Kofnis' work. So I was profoundly changed by one paper by Nathan Kofnis. So I have profoundly changed many times on the basis of one paper. So it's not that I think it's shocking or disappointing, or it shows immaturity that you completely change your views based on, on one paper. But what sort of paper do you change your views on? Like, what's the basis for the change? And for JF, it's just, it's so incredibly shoddy that the, the paper that he bases his views on, the, the person behind it has such a dubious track record that, that, it, that it makes you know, JF's perspective on many issues, just say, lacking credibility. I remember when 
JFKRP interviewed Kevin McDonald a few years ago, and he headlined the interview, the video, the critique stand, saying that Kevin McDonald's culture of critique stands. And then, partway through the interview, he says to Kevin, well, I think your, your critique is good, you just need to drop the group selection part of it. So Kevin McDonald's culture of critique analysis, it was entirely based on group selection. Without group selection, there would be nothing to Kevin McDonald's culture of critique analysis. Now, JF has his technique for speed reading, and so apparently he, he sped read his way through Kevin McDonald's books, but he didn't have the faintest clue about what Kevin McDonald was talking about. So the recklessness of saying the critique stands without understanding anything about the critique, and the recklessness of saying your critique stands, you just should drop the group selection, shows that he's, he's willing to go out on the line and say things without any, without any support. And I noticed that when he does this kind of reckless uh, intellectual positioning, it's always in one direction. It's always in the direction of what his audience wants to hear. So he's very much in line with other pundits. Right? Most pundits serve a particular audience. So right-wing pundits such as Tucker Carlson, they serve a particular audience. And uh, left-wing pundits serve their audience and centrists serve, serve their audience. And so pundits make a living by telling an audience what it wants to hear. And as soon as a pundit stops telling his audience what they want to hear and starts telling them things that they don't want to hear, they completely lose their power, they lose their audience. And very soon they lose their way of uh, making a living. So let's get a little bit of background on this paper that uh, JFL star, Kristen Cavallari, saying she's not vaccinating her children because she believes it could cause autism. It's reignited a very heated parenting debate. ABC's Lindsay Janice has that story for us. Kristen Cavallari, a star of hit reality TV shows Laguna Beach and The Hills, is no stranger to criticism. It's like a disease you can't get rid of. But now, the wife of Chicago Bears quarterback Jay Cutler, mother to one-year-old Camden, with another baby boy on the way, is under fire for her choices as a parent after an interview on Fox Business's The Independence. Are you opposed to vaccines? <gasps> oh, we didn't vaccinate. There is a pediatric uh, group. They've never vaccinated any of their children, and they haven't had one case of autism. Cavallari's revelation reigniting the debate over whether to vaccinate. One person tweeting, go to medical school and get educated if you feel the need to publicly speak out about these issues. Cavallari defending herself telling ABC News exclusively overnight, I am not trying to start a controversy or be an advocate, just a mommy who believes every parent has the right to make their own decision. But pediatrician and Columbia University professor Dr. Erwin Redlener says it's a dangerous choice. Right now we're actually experiencing a mini epidemic of measles and whooping cough in the United States. Okay, do we have... Uh, nope, I thought we had someone entering the chat, but uh, here we go. That's been driven by people who would rather believe a celebrity than their pediatrician. The American Academy of Pediatrics says there is no link between childhood vaccines and autism. But for now, as Cavallari asserts, parents have a choice. For Good Morning America, Lindsay Janice, ABC News, New York. Joining us now is our senior medical contributor, Dr. Jennifer Ashton. I know you guys are saying we thought this discussion had already been uh, solved, but not the case. It's been reignited. And we should also say Colorado just recently passed a bipartisan measure, making it even more difficult for parents. Oh, blessings, blessings, blessings. And once again, blessings. Happy News. Okay, I bet uh, better work out my my cues here. Uh but it was just interesting that JF Garapi would go, you know, full on anti-vax, uh, based on you know the, you know, the most ridiculous of uh, of levels. Just some you know minor league newspaper, minor league paper published in in a nothing journal, just by some you know anti-vax uh, bloke, and uh, it's just it's just uh, such. You know, low level of uh, evidence that uh, JF would change his mind. Involved various kinds, so you don't get absolute true or not true evidence. What you get is some sort of measure of certainty. So, you know, as you said by convention, that is true, and you have to embrace the darkness if you are also going to embrace the light. Western civilization is not about the 18th century Enlightenment and the quest for individualism and democracy. That has been a rather fleeting aspect of our history, and in many ways, it's just a kind of euphemistic look at who we are. You have to address these things. And maybe you have to be told that you're a bit of a monster. Maybe that's actually a important part of growing up and becoming mature. It's well, understanding your ancestors were monsters. This is, is what they, they did. did. I fully because... endorse critical race theory <laughs> and think that it is an important step forward in, uh, in our understanding of who we are, as opposed to lying about it or telling some kind of fairy tale about the founding of this country. 
Well, most people have want to have a positive view of their own people, right? So you can call it a, a fairy tale, but Jews want to have a positive view of Jewish history. Christians want to have a positive view of Christian history. I'm sure you know blacks and Japanese and Chinese all want to have a positive view of their own history. So positive view does not necessarily equal fairy tale. But you prefer to, if you love your spouse, you prefer to concentrate on what's great about your spouse and to minimize the, the importance of their dark sides. All right. So if you want to build a relationship with someone, you keep your focus on their good points and don't put as much emphasis on their bad points. So there's a new new show out from Decoding the Gurus. It's called Decoding Academia, False Positive Psychology. Does this popularly mean any cautionary studies to evaluate and is generally regarded as drug, which is equally as influential to psychology, but not so commonly about COVID shots are the paranoids. Okay, so this is from the shot, deal rough dead of a heart attack. How big will the sample size be? What kind of measures will I use? What kind of statistical test will I use? What results will I report in the end paper? Which things will I not mention in the end paper? Which journal will I target it for? So on and so forth. All of these hundreds of decisions that go into research, that I'll, and each one has multiple choices attached to it. So these are the degrees of freedom that you have. And this paper is saying why we need to pay more attention and take steps to try and control them or be more transparent about what they are. Yeah, so it's, it's obviously like, it's a technical topic, but it's one that's near and dear to the heart of practicing scientists and researchers because everybody wants the research literature to be true. This is the ideal that everything that is published reflects a true kind of finding. Now, the problem is that when you collect data, there's, there's inherent randomness involved. There's so you don't get absolute true or not true evidence. And what you get is some sort of measure of certainty. So, you know, as you said, by convention, in the social sciences, I've tended towards just setting this, this, this key value, this probability that the finding is, is or, or the truth is there's no difference in that relationship when actual fact there is one. So there's arbitrary threshold of 0.05. And if it crosses that, then the taken is like, a, well, okay, this is probably true. It's, it's at least the probability of being true is high enough that we're happy to be published and for it to enter the literature. So that's all very well and good unless somebody has their, their finger on the tiller. So that's yeah. what this is about. So one of the examples they give to illustrate like research degrees of freedom is they talk about excluding participants, right? You run a study and you bring your data. And they- okay, so JFK completely changed his mind on vaccines. Based on just a terrible, terrible study. Just absolute nonsense. I love this guy. I think he's right on target in understanding the politics of vaccination. So we get there, we get there. We have lots so, of vaccine news, but William Renner is already on entropy. He says, my children... So, so now JF, he's a, he's a fan of anti-vaxxer Robert Kennedy. I've had two COVID shots each so far. They are both adults. The only people really worried about COVID shots are the paranoids. The okay, so... In the is... leg from the shot, due drop dead of a heart attack. Yeah, and we don't have... Uh, we don't look at this with enough seriousness. We are... We are. We don't even have the statistical tools to determine just how much how much death have we caused, how much heart attacks have we caused, because a lot of people will just be noted as heart attack, and it, it may be I don't know a month, two months after the vaccine caused. Was it the vaccine? We don't know. We don't have the we don't have the proper control groups to establish that kind of stuff. Instead, what we did is we selected a population of six. Okay, so the the vaccines have been out since the end of 2020, and the evidence is just overwhelming. The vaccines for COVID reduce hospitalization, reduce uh, death rates, and uh, don't cause you know infertility or mass death or any of the other horrible things that have been lobbed at uh, COVID vaccines. 60,000 people, and they're the only ones on which the companies are running their trial, and they are not necessarily demographically representative of the rest of the nation, and let alone the rest of the world. And we're so we have more and more evidence about the efficacy and safety of the COVID vaccines approved for use in the United States. This is uh, J.F. Garapi from about uh, 14 months ago. We're waving these uh, studies saying it's been determined to be safe. And these studies, first, they mess with the control group because eventually they offer the actual vaccine. So you never get to know more than a year or two. You never get to know. So we'll learn more about the study that uh, J.F. allowed to, to change his mind. See, the title of this show, the J.F. is doing the study that changed my view on all vaccines. What are the consequences of these vaccines? Well, I'm going to show a study that has tried to do its best to recover the control group. And the results are not reassuring. It's a study I've already covered on YouTube, but I wasn't able to speak freely about it. So now that we're on Odyssey, now that I enjoy this platform that lets me talk about whatever I want. Uh... 
So sometimes freedom is a bad thing, right? I mean, freedom is going to expose you know, JF's irresponsible anti-vaccine views. So sometimes freedom allows people to do good, but often freedom allows people to do really bad things. So just because a group or individuals get more freedom isn't necessarily a good thing, right? There are a lot of groups who have abused freedom. There was a massive increase in crime after civil rights legislation. Like why, after you pass all this civil rights legislation, did you then get a massive increase in crime? When, when uh, laws criminalizing homosexuality were done away with in the 1960s and 70s, you, you then got AIDS, all right? So people can use freedom to engage in sexual promiscuity, in crime, and all sorts of antisocial and damaging behavior. Uh, we'll be talking about it. Disclose.tv says NASA enlists 24 theologians to assess how the world would react to the discovery of extraterrestrial life. <laughs> the, the extraterrestrial comes in and, uh, hey, are you not shocked? Man, I got a lot going on lately. <laughs> that, is a, that is a meme that I knew about from a long time ago, but it's so fun. It's uh, very representative of the state of mind of many. Personally, of course, as someone who has already described what this extraterrestrial would look like in the revolutionary phenotype, I'm very interested about discovering life. because I. Right, so there's no audience to be gained saying that there aren't extraterrestrials. But uh, JF will, will cater to the enormous audience there is to be gained from promoting stupid and untrue things like extraterrestrials, being anti-vax, uh, promoting election denial, promoting false uh, voter fraud claims. He will fall for you know, the flimsiest pieces of evidence, like a, a piece of paper floating through the, through the air, if it is useful to him and makes his audience feel good. I predicted something, I said. So why is JF Garapi very interested in discovering extraterrestrial life and why so many people like Carl Sagan etc are very interested in discovering extraterrestrial life because they're not religious right they've got this spiritual religious void in their soul and so they have to reach for something transcendent and so instead of God and traditional Christianity or Judaism their their religious yearnings get met by seeking extraterrestrial life that based on my theory the life forms we discover will have genetic layers and the number of genetic layers they have will correspond to the number of phenotypic revolutions they've had in the past. This close that TV says on Gab uh, just in German Parliament to start discussing the compulsory vaccination of the general population in the first week of session in vaccine coming from Denmark, which shows that the vaccine has a negative efficiency, a negative efficacy after 90 days of getting it. Yeah, but he's talking about uh, the vaccine has a ne negative efficacy. That's not for hospitalization. That's not for death. That's just for infection, which may be completely without symptoms. 90 days after you got the vaccine, it seems that if anything, it helps you get Omicron. Not surprising then that there's so much people catching it so quick. We have uniformized the antibody population in the human species. We've uniformized it by giving them an old version of the virus and we gave them again and again and again. <clears throat> Why are we talking about squads for vaccination? when the data currently indicates that we will be putting people in further danger 90 days after the injection. That's not true. It's, it's just complete nonsense, right? It's not true for hospitalization. It's not for, true for serious illness. It's not true for... Oh, maybe we'll be protecting them for 30 days, and then it's going to be neutral. And then according to the Denmark study, it's going to be worse. So we're, we're buying time here. What are we doing? We're trying to live the, the best last 30 days of our lives. 2,400 flights canceled since Christmas Eve on crew shortage. As the holiday weekend draws to a close, it has been anything Come but... Come get to the study, JF. ...king fat if you give it too much calories. In combination, of course, not just with the calorie intake you have, but uh, the amount of work if they eat more than some... When they say 30 days of protection, that was in the context of after the two weeks wait after the vaccine. So, so I don't know if what you say is true, but certainly they were talking about protection being present after the two weeks and then, one, and then within the period of 30 days that extend after. Uh, Waglapop says, I Come on, get respect me, I want to test them. And so one way of testing them is to... So JF says he wants to test people. Right? That's a very exhausting way to go through life. Right? That's going to keep you isolated and lonely. Like to, to go through life constantly testing people. Because I've done that, right? It's been... I mean, a reflex of mine, just to you know, test and test and test people. It exhausts them and it drives people away from you. Is to just say, yeah, I'm unvaccinated and see what they're going to do about it. We get a lot of pressure. We get a lot of people um, telling us you should get vaccinated. And they, the most disgusting thing is all these people think they know better. 
These people don't know about the study I'm about to show you. These people don't know that I spend my days reading about any so any. Yeah, he's just the the epitome of uh, truth seeking, and it's just disgusting that these people think they know better. Well, everybody who's giving their opinion here on YouTube or on on a podcast thinks they they know better, right? There's nothing wrong with thinking that you know better. I obviously think I know better, or I wouldn't be doing a show, right? Thinking that you've got something right when other people have got something wrong, there's no harm inherent in that. It's just, do you then use that to believe that you are better because you may be right, you think you're right about some issue of public policy or culture or politics? The study you're about to show is absolute nonsense, JF. Come on, man. Just because it's called a study doesn't mean it has depth. Just because it's called a study doesn't mean it's true and excellent. I think I know about it. And yet, uh, these people talk to you based on stuff they've seen on mainstream TV. It's like, yeah, but they've said this on mainstream TV, and they've said that about Omicron. And have you heard about Delta? Yeah, I heard about it. I'm kind of a specialist at this point, <laughs> against my will. It's unbelievable, the, the level of lack of knowledge out there. He, he regards himself, this anti-vaxxer regards himself as a specialist on COVID, coronavirus, and uh, vaccines. He, he's a, a postdoc at Duke University in neuroscience. He's not a, a PhD in virology. Uh, neither am I, uh, but I, I, don't pro- <laughs> I don't proclaim myself an expert in these issues. I'd like to think I've built out a decent epistemic network. Yeah. And yet these people allow themselves to judge you and to try to educate you. This kind of delusion that education is worth something in, in a world where there's so many stupid people out there. It's one of the great... So I believe I did this show January 1st, 2022. So over 18 months ago. Disappointments of the universe as far as I'm concerned. And look at, look at how transparent it is. Just before we get to the serious study that is not so much about the COVID vaccine, but about all the vaccines taken together. Let's look at how transparent they are about... Look, Fauci is about to acknowledge, he acknowledged on ABC that he's, uh, he's basically acknowledging that the whole strategy around the vaccine is extortion. Here we have a government agent talking in the public space um, about committing a crime, the crime of extortion against the population. Listen to this. A vaccine requirement for a person getting on the plane is just another level of getting people to have a mechanism that would spur them to get vaccinated. Namely, you can't get on a plane. That's not extortion. That's just encouraging people, creating more and more incentives, right? That's far from extortion. Right, so you want to encourage people to do the oh, right with thing. LBC with YouTube. Thank you so much for supporting the show. I'll be, I'll be keeping those LBC in my pocket until LBC is uh, worth something. Uh, and I can't wait for someone to use the cash feature because I've been able to cash super chats. Hopefully, we get someone uh, encourages. Uh, it's also a big proponent of uh, Bitcoin. I mean, the, the worthlessness of cyber currencies uh, just being, being behind such a useless fad. Come on, get to the study. The study that changed my view on all vaccines. That's J.F. Garapi's title. For this video, and the study is by two crank anti-vaxxers. Right? Once a journalist for two years around COVID, that uh, New York is self-destructing. I do not see a scenario for any kind of shutdown. New York City Mayor Bill De Blasio declared this week, uh, you'll, "You'll become extremely fat." Wow, Thomas has succeeded at using the cash feature. We're getting cash. Come on, JF, get to the study. Uh, it, it, a lot of people have felt betrayed. They felt like they hadn't voted for this, and now he's at the bottom level where he's operating restaurants. He has to deal with the consequences, the, the authoritarian consequences of the own, the own direction that he has taken USA toward, the direction of vaccine authoritarianism. So uh, let's talk about the study that to me was a game changer around my view of vaccines. I've, uh... So it's not surprising. It's not a bad thing if people change their mind. It's not, it's not surprising or a bad thing if people find a study or a book or a video that changes their mind. But it says a lot about them when, when they say, oh, this completely changed my mind, right? It says something about you. It could be a good thing or a bad thing. What's the quality of the study on which JF changed his mind? Gabbed about it. Someone asked me via email what I thought of other vaccines, i.e. those vaccines given to children for other diseases than COVID. Personally, I was convinced by a research article that we are misguided in our vaccine schedules and policy. So he's, he's convinced by this article by two cranks. These in general, and that this is not just about COVID. So this article is named Analysis of Health Outcomes in Vaccinated and Unvaccinated Children, Developmental Delays, Asthma, Ear Infection, and Gastrointestinal Disorders. So what they did is they looked at a period between... Okay, the authors, they're Brian... Hooker and Neil Miller, right? Neil Miller is a journalist and anti-vaxxer. Ryan Hooker, uh, 
is all right, interesting character. Right, let's let me find my link here about just have to put Brian Brian Hooker, Brian S. Hooker. Okay, he's a bioengineer, right? He's an engineer, he's a chemist, and he promotes claims that uh, vaccines cause autism. He's had multiple studies that have been retracted, right? Does not have an impressive uh, track record. And this is this is the guy that uh, JF says, oh, his work just changed my view on all vaccines. 2005 and 2015. And they looked at a given set of medical practices, three of them, three networks of clinic or three clinics. And they took all of the children that would be of a given age, and they took them when they had had vaccines or didn't or chose not to get vaccines for three to six years. They are children that were between the birth. So have you read the blog Respectful Insolence? So it's a blog by a surgeon, David Gorski. He writes, uh, Brian Hooker and Neil Z. Miller published another terrible vaxxed, anti-vaxxed study. And this is the study that JF says just changed his mind on all vaccines. Brian Hooker and Neil Z. Miller, two anti-vaccine propagandists disguising themselves as scientists, published yet another terrible vax-unvax study purporting to show unvaccinated children are healthier. But remember, we have basically doubled our lifespans in industrial societies over the past 120 years through things like sanitation, through things like vaccine, through modern public health measures. So how awful was that study? This is surgeon David Gorski writing. So he says, I was looking back on my blog over the past few months and noticed the last time I read anything that wasn't COVID was on March 16th. He says, I feel like I need a break from the unrelenting, depressing news about COVID. But yesterday I was made aware of the publication of a study that in this age of over 100,000, so this blog post was written May 29, 2020. So in this age of over 100,000 Americans dead from a pandemic, we now have over 800,000 dead from COVID. Right? Here's another example of anti-vaxxers promoting a favorite myth of theirs, namely that unvaccinated children are healthier than vaccinated children. Spoiler, they aren't. Because, of course, they believe that vaccines are toxic brews of horrible chemicals and DNA and tissue from aborted fetuses, and therefore cause autism in every manner of chronic health problem, thus making our children the sickest generation. Another spoiler, they aren't. Yes, it's another vax versus unvax study, and it's just as bad as every other anti-vax, vax versus unvax study out there, but superficially better in appearance. Hilariously, it's by two anti-vaxxers whom we've met before, Brian Hooker and Neil Z. Miller. Study is published in an open access journal, right? Anyone can publish there. And is entitled Analysis of Health Outcomes in Vaccinated and Unvaccinated Children, Developmental Delays, Asthma, Ear Infections, and Gastrointestinal Disorders. So. There's a long analysis here on how awful this study is by uh, David Gorski. I'll put a link to his analysis in video description. All right, let's get a little bit more from Decoding the Gurus here, Decoding Academia on False Positive Psychology. Okay, so it's just uh, an open access journal that uh, publishes this uh, purported study on vaccines by a couple of cranks with you know a long, undistinguished track record in this area, and it completely changes... Now, JF's opinion on the on the topic. Okay, this is uh, Jean-Francois Garapi, my 26, 2018, talking to Kevin McDonald. There. There's something really wrong with that. But they would never go after Orthodox Jews in that way. Uh, so it's been skewed in some subtle ways, uh, combined with some things that are just pure entertainment that don't really have any political point at all. You know, they're action movies, and, and they don't really uh, try to make a point. Although nowadays they're always doing casting, right? They're trying to have a oh, maximum diversity. They have a gay character, transsexual, black characters, Mexicans, uh, blacks, you know, making love to white women and that kind of thing. So that, that's what's happening now. But that took a long, you know, decades to, to get there. So to understand how the Kofnas critique, in my view, of, of your book passes beside the track, I think it's important first to state what your book uh, aims to do. I see your book as, first, the Jewish people are reproductive units. And they, just like any people on Earth, they make babies, and that's how they continue their existence. And this is true for all animals. This is true for us. This is true for any human on Earth. Now, the, the Jewish people has been traveling a lot. They've been sometimes exposed of country. Sometimes there, we see in the, when we look at genetic uh, markers in them that they... That that they, they might have been uh, started, the Ashkenazi Jews at least, by a population of males probably in the Levant area, migrating to Europe, possibly uh, marrying. So everything uh, JF has just said for the, for the past minute makes 
Perfect sense. Seeing many females there, or, or possibly some females may have migrated with them. Uh, so, so this is a history of traveling. And of course, when you look at any sort of environment, you wonder, well, okay, and any sort of uh, living beings that lives in this environment, you wonder, how did the environment change the evolution of the genetic line? How did certain characteristics got selected? Other characteristics didn't get selected. Right. And essentially, your book seeks to understand what are the characteristics in Jewish people that have allowed them to survive this whole and, and very complex history, right? Very complex history. And, and uh, yeah, my first book, uh, I was very concerned about that because I had the idea that groups could police themselves. I mean, one, one thing about Dawkins, he's never signed on to group selection of any kind. Uh, and uh, uh, my view, and now I think the view of really mainstream, is that group selection can happen for humans, especially because we can police groups. The big problem with group selection was that you had cheaters and, and you couldn't deal with them. Uh, so an animal, animal groups are hard to, to really form in the same kind of discipline that human groups can have because we can monitor groups and, and we can get rid of cheaters quite easily. And that's what, what Jewish groups did. So that was part of the first book. But in the first book, I also talked about traits that were with, under selection within the Jewish community. And the most important one is probably IQ, uh, but also ethnocentrism. Uh, in other words, um, they, they would they would emphasize uh, they would emphasize marriage between, say, uh, a scholar, someone who is really good at the talk. So it's hard to argue that uh, Jews are just inherently ethnocentric when about sixty to seventy percent of Jews in in the United States uh, marry a non-Jew. Right? That's not behavior of a particularly ethnocentric group. Which is very hard to master. I mean, a lot of ways it's kind of gibberish and doesn't make a lot of sense. But it's hard to you know to, to, to really master it. It's voluminous. I mean, it's massive. It's so these guys are studying and studying, and they have to be pretty bright. And so it's verbal IQ completely. And so my when I in chapter seven, the first book, I talked about Jewish IQ and talked about natural selection for it, and that it was favored in the Jewish community. If you had a smart boy, then then uh, he he would have very good marriage chances. He he would be able to marry the daughter of a wealthy merchant, say. And then he would have all these business opportunities. And then uh, so he would then have more children. That actually documented that wealthy Jews, as was true in traditional societies everywhere, really, wealthy people had more children. Uh, and that was true certainly in the Jewish community. Uh, but they were selecting by doing that uh, for IQ. And now we see that Jews had probably the highest average IQ of any group in the world. Um, Some people are talking about 110, 112, maybe up to 115. Um, uh, that doesn't happen by chance. That, that happens by engineering mating over, over centuries. And um, so that was part of it, but also ethnocentrism. Jews that were not as committed to the group, that, that married outside the group, or, or, or were not, uh, you know, were not on page with the rest of the group, uh, or were not able to economically make it. I mean, there was a lot of Jewish charity, but as a Jew, you were expected to pull your weight. There was not any, like, free welfare, you know, uh, in the sense that you didn't have to work. Uh, they, you know, it was pretty tough. Uh, you know, they didn't uh, have really relaxed rules like we have now with, with welfare. Um, they did support poor people, but uh, at a sort of, you know, basic level. Um, but anyway, the, you know, the Jews who weren't on page with this would drop out. And it, it always seems like more, the most ethnocentric Jews were driving things, you know. They were the most extreme. They were the ones who were pushing it all. Well, the most ethnocentric Jews are the least visible Jews in America, and generally speaking, the, the least powerful, right? The Jews who run movie studios and uh, merchant banks and uh, TV networks and edit uh, major publications, they're the most likely Jews to be married to non-Jews. Right, not terribly ethnocentric. This is confirmed in current uh, psychological science. And someone asked on the super chat if you're familiar with the alternative hypothesis. He made a video called "A Celebration of the Jewish People." It reviews the current evidence uh, that we have on ethnocentrism in uh, Jews. So he was wondering if you were aware of him. Uh, what's the author? Uh, his name is Ryan Falk from the Alternative Hypothesis. I recommend his video if you if you yeah, haven't yeah, watched. I believe I, I did read that with great okay. interest actually, uh, and, I, and I talked about part of it in something I wrote. Um, uh, about, about about Jewish involvement in universities in the 1960s, I was not aware of. Uh, yeah, so they, that's, that's a, good, a good piece of work, I thought. 
Good Time says, I support channels that I like with my kroner. Jeff is an enlighter of IDs. And Vinny S sends us 25 bucks. He says, Demographics is destiny. The quality of the show and guests keeps on improving. Great job. And Rice Jones says, Peterson entirely misses the point of the JQ, responding only to reasons for overrepresentation instead of its implications. The, actu the actual point of the JQ. There is no Asian question after all. And that's a point that came in the Kofnes critique about IQ. Uh, since Jews have a higher IQ, this explains the overrepresentation and period. We don't want to hear anything else. And so exactly. I, that, that's where the Kofnes critique passes beside your book because your book remains true and interesting and the questions relate, that you explore remain interesting even if IQ is the psychological measure by which the overrepresentation of Jews in media is explained, right? Well, exactly. And, and uh, Jordan Peterson, you know, cited Kofnes. And then I, and he, he had some other data, which I responded to because Jews are, do indeed have a high IQ, but that cannot explain their overrepresentation uh, in the media, Uh, or in other, you know, jobs at the, at the highest levels of our economy. Uh, so I go into the actual numbers because there's so many more non-Jews. If you take an IQ of 130 as a cutoff, there should be like four or five times as many non-Jews as Jews at that level. 130 is quite elite. Well, according to uh, Jordan Peterson's calculation, if we're talking IQ over 145, then there are more Ashkenazi Jews than non-Jews in the United States, you know, 145, 150, around that, that level. I mean, you can do pretty much any job in this country with an IQ of 130. Uh, and, and even if you, if you look at IQ of 145, it's about equal between Jews and non-Jews. Well, you know, that, that's uh, one, uh, at least that's according to, to Peterson's numbers. I, I wouldn't disagree with that necessarily. But, uh, but what we see is uh, just massive Jewish overrepresentation uh, in, in the media compared to that. And, and really throughout the most sensitive jobs at elite universities, say, in the social sciences. Because the academic world, as you know, is, is a top-down kind of thing. It, it, you know, the, the, the professors at the top of the system are sort of you know, uh, determining uh, what the next generation of academics is going to be like. That's why it's very important for Jewish uh, PhDs to get into this. So the, the Jewish question is something that uh, Jean-Francois feels very personally. Is discrediting any white nationalist movement, discrediting yeah. any white nationalist personality. And in fact, even before I was aware that you existed and that your book had been written in 1998, I believe it was published, uh, even before I was aware of any of this, I was myself the target of lots of harassment by mainstream media and by extremist Jewish group. And this, this was my first contact with the idea that Jews had interest against me. Mm -hmm. It's when I... Well, how about non-Jews, right? Uh, plenty of non-Jews have, you know, their objections and, and problems with J.F. Garapi. So... I don't think it's something unique to to Jews and to Jewish objections, right? Would Anglicans, would uh, Assembly of God, would your would your average you know non-Jewish intellectual in the news media be you know applauding what uh, Jean-Francois is doing? No, both uh, Jews and non-Jews in the media, with typically left-wing perspectives, are about equally opposed to Jean-Francois and company. I discovered that a, a political faction of extremists, they had attacked me and they were all Jews. And I was like, this deserves an explanation. Uh, yeah. Is there really much difference between uh, Jews and non-Jews when, when it comes to Jean-Francois critics? Are we aware of many cases of uh, attacks on media personalities that might bring the question of the, the existence of the white people? Okay. I want to play a little bit more here from... Uh... Kevin and Jay. The main specificity, the main general, technical issues in psychology. I mean, I thought that was just outrageous, but that's the way it operates. So I, you know, I just basically gave up and uh, started publishing my, my stuff in the Hospital Quarterly. And by the way, Adominums like this are not a special case. They're not a failure of the system. The system of academia is built on Adominums yeah. like this. And, and right. you can be a non-persona in this field very quickly, depending on the positions you take, either politically or even in the art sciences, non -politically. Yeah, JF, I think, is right here. The more prestigious your position, the more vulnerable you are to being cancelled if you 
you know, say something edgy or out of line with the liberal left consensus. Political positions. I could have an idea about group selection and somehow some other leader of the field doesn't like these ideas and it won't pass. Now, uh, I'm I'm an extreme... uh, dark in the ends in terms of the selfish gene and in terms of interpreting group selection. So I think that your theory would benefit from abandoning the association. And it's not even clear to me that it's associated, but associated with the concept of group selection. You So remember, this is JF doing a show here called The Critique Stand, saying that uh, Kevin McDonald's trilogy on Jews and Judaism stands. He just needs to abandon the idea of group strategy, which is the whole basis for Kevin McDonald's work. So J.F. is happy to proclaim to the world that uh, Kevin McDonald's theory stands, even though the whole foundation of Kevin McDonald's theory, uh, J.F. wants him to remove. So J.F. will proclaim all sorts of opinions about things he knows absolutely nothing about. And he will proclaim that he's read uh, multiple books by Kevin McDonald, but he doesn't have the foggiest notion of what he's read. And yet he will proclaim on it. You rarely use the term group selection and you use the term group strategy. I think that group strategies can emerge from theories based at the genetic level. Uh, what's your position there? Do you, do you consider yourself as having invented a theory of the Jewish people and their evolution that, f- that falls within the category of group selection? Or do you consider that everything you said explains itself from gene selection theory? Well, <clears throat> the first book uh, is really about that. By the time I get to cultural critique, I am talking about groups, but I'm not really talking about selection anymore. I'm talking about how various Jewish groups operate, how they cite each other, and how they uh, sort of attain power and retain orthodoxy and so on. Um, so, <laughs> poor Kevin. I mean, he's coming on a show saying the critique stands, and he's being supported by Jean-Francois Garoupi, only to realize and try to keep a, a straight face that uh, JF doesn't have the foggiest notion about what uh, Kevin was on about, but he, he supports him. Right. Uh, JF is, as I mentioned, a former postdoc researcher at Duke University, and he does have a lot of intelligence. He has a hard head at times, and he's one of those rare people who understands like YouTube's monetization policy, so he's able to develop a channel and stay monetized on, on YouTube for, for years. Now, I, I think JF was much more interesting and he thought much more clearly when he thought socially, right? I think more clearly because I'm arguing and discussing with you and you're debunking and you're critiquing and you're undercutting and or you're challenging things that I say. And so due to that interchange, because I have, have guests come on and because I have a social life, I live in West Los Angeles and I know a lot of intellectuals, I'd say the, the dominant profession among my friends is professional professor of uh, philosophy, right? I have a lot of friends who are philosophy professors. And so through thinking socially, I find we all tend to think much more clearly. Uh, Here is JF giving some pretty good advice to a desperate 43-year-old depressed man who's thinking of offing himself. The optimal solution in your case is to be in those very restrained bedrooms, but that will cost you very cheap. So that way you can work on accumulating savings the way you did. So all in all, we have a very desperate man who this morning uh, has been told by his psychiatrist uh, for, for his first appointment to start SSRI, start antidepressants. Uh, I agree. I fully agree with your psychiatrist. That is definitely a good first step. Um, definitely, you have lived extreme trauma, and you have been basically abandoned. Uh, abandoned, well, abandoned. Your mother was killed. I, I don't know in what circumstances she died. And then your father uh, abandoned you by not being able to care for you and being an alcoholic. So uh, that is extreme trauma when it happens to you before adult life. Um, you have this trauma. What they say was your social anxiety. That is worth exploring. Are you still uh, experiencing social problems? 
uh, one thing I would recommend is, because it seems that your brain has gotten into a depressive state out of kind of physiological crunching of, it, of your brain. And I'm afraid that perhaps there may be some things that uh, have not been addressed in your physiological functioning that could be making your situation unsalvageable by any sort of psychiatric medication. So you, I want to know that you have good cardio health. So uh, you say that you've been lifting weights. That's perfect. I would recommend doing cardio exercise, like simple jogging on a regular schedule. Uh, you want to activate your cardio just in case this is, because it's often a basis, a physical basis for your brain being in the current state that it is. Uh, what I highly recommend is to take your blood pressure. Do you have blood pressure issue? Because at 43, it wouldn't be particularly surprising. Uh, if you have blood pressure issues, it can show, it can have all sorts of effects on your cardiovascular functioning, and then it degrades your entire body functioning, your energy, and your capacity to get out of the, the psychological hole in which you are. So go get a blood pressure reading. Take, uh, take your heart rate also manually like this. Uh, find your artery here and count for a minute how many heartbeats do you have. Uh, how many heartbeats do you have? All right, so a lot of uh, good uh, practical advice there that uh, JF is bringing to his audience. Now, JF moved to isolated northern Canada, what was it, 2019, and he's become increasingly isolated, very rarely has guests or, or co-hosts on his show. He just doesn't want to deal with other people, doesn't want to negotiate and to compromise, and I identify with that because I have many of these same tendencies. I <laughs> often get tired of negotiating human relationships. So I understand his turn to isolation, but I think it's come at the cost that uh, he, his program and his commentary has largely dropped out of uh, social circulation, just as mine has, as I've become you know, more isolated. I used to have a lot more guests and, and co-hosts on my show. So both uh, JF and I would benefit from more people coming on our shows, more social reasoning, more debate, discussion, more, more guests, things like that would make us both a lot uh, sharper. Neither one of us really has the the uh, the powerful personality to hold down a show just by ourselves. Let's talk about Jonah L, who is trending on Twitter following uh, the publication of so-called abusive behavior by his ex-girlfriend, Sarah Brady, accusing the actor of emotional abuse. Uh, and, and I had a hard time finding all of the evidence because people are sometimes sharing one screenshot, sometimes another. Uh, so I got everything I could find, and we're going to have a look through it. And this is the whole current trend of feminism, which seeks to define any sort of requirements. by. So he's kind of gone down a, a rabbit hole, and he's articulating, well, some problems with feminism and you know, why women are screwed up. Not as much introspection about his own failed marriages, own failed relationships, and the problems with men, right? It's not just like women are to blame. So he's very eager to talk about how women are messed up and how women are to blame, how the mainstream media is to blame. Not a lot of introspection and uh, not, not a lot of uh, thinking out loud about the role that, that men are playing in their own problems. So... The easiest way to develop a following is to tell people that their problems come from outside of them, that it's, that it's the outgroup, it's the, it's the women, it's the Jews, it's the media, it's the elites. I mean, to be uh, abusive. But it never happens when it's a female requirement. Notice you will never hear the feminist say, you know, when, you dis when a female dismiss a guy because he's too short, when she has a deal breaker uh, height at six foot. Uh, at, at six yeah, JF has been pushing uh, Bitcoin for years. Right, let's just imagine pushing uh, Bitcoin at, at 60,000. Like Bitcoin and cyber currencies don't do almost any of the things that they are promoted for doing. I turned very strongly against uh, cyber currencies about, uh, I think, 18 months, two years ago. Six feet, 
uh, no one will ever say this is abuse. But, but you're asking a man to change what he can't change. You're, uh, you're asking a man to change something he's born with. Uh, so how is this not abuse? Well, it's a female doing it. Now, if a male says, I have standards about who my girlfriend will be, and you can totally, you, you are free to not respect those standards, but then you're not going to be my girlfriend. Feminists want to frame this whole thing as extortion. Now, there is a very uh, special way. In so there are problems with feminism. There are problems with uh, modern women, but there are also problems with uh, modern men. And there are also problems with uh, uh, men going their own way. And there are problems with dissident politics, you know, leading you down a conspiracy rabbit hole. So very easy to focus on all the problems with the other, with the outgroup. Which you can understand the world where this is extortion, having standards. But the problem is, that would also make you going to buy a Big Mac extortion. It would make uh, you trying to deal a car. Yeah, so to be, to be fair, he was pushing Bitcoin when it was like $5,000, when it was $60,000. He's uh, big into cyber currencies and the whole idea of independence. He wants to get away from everything, be as independent as possible. It's not usually a healthy life becoming this isolated and living in a you know, in, in a fantasy world where, you know, cyber currencies and just going it alone and, you know, isolating yourself from civilization is going to produce the, the happiest type of life. You, you never get the sense from uh, watching JF's streams that he loves anyone, that uh, he's connected to anyone, that he has, you know, any kind of face-to-face -face concrete human community. Car for a lower price, extortion. It would, be, it would mean that the car salesman who says, well, you know, if you pay that much, I can't give you the AC on the car. He would be doing extortion also. If any standard to a consensual relationship cannot be negotiated through human speech, then uh, everything is extortion. Every single... Con uh, speech is overrated, right? Speech is, speech is fine, but there, there are far superior ways to develop relationships, and that's you know, shared bonds, religious, genetic, cultural. Uh, ideally, most things that... Uh, uh, would seemingly be negotiated are just taken for granted when you have a particular bond with, with someone. Say you're, you're both Orthodox Jews or you're both fair dinkum Aussies, right? Many of the things that normal people would think that you have to negotiate, right? They just get uh, taken care of without negotiation because you share bonds. So JF does have many sharp critiques of modern women and feminism, absolutely, but uh, not enough thought about... Uh, have asked play. me to comment on a Sargon of Akkad statement about race. Uh, we'll see. We'll see what he's saying right here. People into the new country, and they say, "Right, you are now French." That doesn't work because people are different. And there are people like, "Ah, oh, well, what are you saying? This is race." I'm like, no, it's not race because North Africans genetically are basically the same as Southern Europeans. So North Africans basically are genetically the same as South Europeans because, of course, North Africa and the Mediterranean region has been a, a melting pot. They use the term. For yeah, pretty shocked that a Sargon of Akkad doesn't know what he's talking about. So J.F. P is far more correct than Sargon here. Last 2,000, 3,000 years. Like all these people have been in close contact with each other. There have been uh, empires that have spanned the entire thing. There's been a great movement of population. So these people are racially very, very similar. Right? You probably wouldn't be able to tell North African from a Spaniard or an Italian by looking at them. Right? The skin tone is basically the same. But they come from different civilizations. Uh, is that true? No, it is not true. Uh, people were publishing, uh, publishing PCAs. Uh, this one, for example. Europeans are well separated. Now, this is not a particularly interesting PCA because it doesn't show much populations from North Africa. I mean, you have Middle Eastern populations here, but you can see the Spanish, uh, the Basque. So south popula Southern populations of Europe are definitely within the European cluster. Uh, rather than this PCA that was published on Twitter, I like to 
look at this PCA because at least it, it, it uh, contains some of the things we're talking about. Uh, for example, here, let's take... Um, we have... Uh, so, yeah, he has a lot of scientific expertise. He's high IQ. His show's technically very professional. Now, they'd be more compelling and they'd be better shows if he had more people on the shows challenging him and debating him and you know, he developed a more face-to-face -face relationship, so he got into more of a uh, social reasoning field, right? There are a lot of things more important than technical He's emotionally quality. shocked because he went to the doctor, and the doctor started with questions around his children's gender identity. And, uh, yeah, I warn you guys, uh, the hospitals, the doctors, you're going to have to start shopping. You're going to have to start knowing the difference. There will be a massive generation of doctors who will all have been trained in today's university, and they will be totally pushing this Marxist crap. You're going to have to find very weird doctors uh, who, who think differently from the system, and there will be less and less of those. DK Shadow says, I refuse treatment. Yes, that, that is something you're, you should learn. You should not only learn. Okay, good, uh, solid commentary here from JF. But you should teach it to your friends, to your family, to, to children. You do not have to consent to treatment. Uh, and be careful of kind of consenting through inaction. Uh, consenting because you can't quite say it. I refuse treatment. Uh, very dangerous situation. Let's hear the, the father here. I'm literally on fire right now. I just got off the phone with my wife, who took my nine and seven-year-old boys. Error. Wife, nine and seven-year-old boys, sent to an organization of the state. You're actually lucky they haven't convinced her to kidnap them from you. To the doctor today. Okay, that's an absurd, uh, extreme <laughs> comment, all right? Uh, you can usually allow your wife to take your boys to a doctor, and <laughs> and the state's not going to brainwash your wife into kidnapping your kids, right? That, that's, that is an analysis from a paranoid perspective. To get physicals for tackle football and school next year and all that other shit. The first, my nine-year-old son went in first, and the first thing this woman... See how they get to you? You're forced to go get the physiological exam for the soccer subscription so that they can play soccer next, during the summer. And that forces you to get in front of a doctor, and then the doctor can push. The so th this is really in the framework of JF encouraging people to isolate themselves. And uh, for 99% of people, isolating yourself is not a good way to live. Gender non-conforming kind of propaganda. Asks him, is if he identifies as a boy, a girl, gender fluid, or non-binary. My son, he's never heard of any of that shit before. You've been dealing with him your whole life. He is clearly a boy's boy. I have 100% sympathy for the father's reaction. I would be furious. I would be incandescent with rage if uh, this happened with you know, my wife and my kids going to the doctor. So what are you, trying to plant a fucking seed in his head? This guy is a little too emotional and not enough. He's not too emotional, all right? Uh, emotions are just as valid a, a form of reasoning as the intellect. Intelligent about his reaction. Uh, the reaction should be understand the system, understand what's being pulled against you, and avoid for the future. Develop a strategy for the future. You're not going to reason with these doctors. These doctors are following whatever Marxist priors they have themselves or their institution imposed on us, you're going to have to find a lifestyle in which you don't have to submit your children to gender propaganda so they can play soccer. That is... Yeah, if you raise your kids in, in a traditional community, 
they're not going to face this kind of propaganda. Okay, let's get a little bit more of a big-picture perspective on Jean-Francois Garapi using the Garometer developed by the hosts of the podcast Decoding the Gurus, a couple of lefty academics. But uh, talking about uh, potentially exploitive gurus, those who produce ersatz wisdom, right, a corrupt epistemics that creates the appearance of useful knowledge but has none of the substance. So I would, I would rate uh, JF about average, right, about level with, uh, say, a Dennis Prager or a Ben Shapiro. Like he's probably better than Prager and Shapiro in some ways, worse in others. But uh, galaxy brainness, all right, someone who presents ideas that appear to be too profound for an average mind to comprehend but are in truth reasonably trivial, if not nonsensical. Gurus often present themselves as fonts of wisdom, and it is an all-encompassing kind of knowledge that tends to span, span multiple disciplines and topics. Their arguments often link together disparate concepts, such as quantum mechanics, logic, and the nature of consciousness. Gurus will often present themselves as a polymath who can offer novel insights with reference to many fields. Yeah, I think this all appeals, appears uh, quite strongly in JF's work. They will often allude to their own accomplishments and exaggerate them to a shameless degree. They will confidently offer hot takes on technical topics and with a wave of the hand, dismiss the perspectives of genuine experts. All right, this is JF to a T. This is a confidence trick that relies on the recipient being convinced of their unique intellectual powers. Various performative flourishes can assist in this deception, such as unnecessary references to higher specialist literature, the use of jargon and technical terms. These references can often be recognized to be entirely superfluous and tangential to the argument being presented. The recipient is not expected to dig too deeply or to fully understand the references being made. They're probably most effective when the recipient does not understand them at all. They're merely illusions intended to signal a deep level of knowledge. So I'd uh, rate uh, Jean-Francois probably a four out of five. Uh, Cultishness. Being a guru is a social role. Guru is only a guru. There are people who regard them as such. How gurus interact with their followers and critics, their in-group and out-group is revealing. Gurus are not usually bona fide cult leaders, but the social groups they cultivate, often with themselves positioned as intellectual leaders, have many of the same elements as cults, such as the establishment of clear in-group and out-group identities, primarily between the cult members and admirers and outsiders. Gurus tend to act in a manipulative fashion with their followers and potential allies. This often takes the form of excessive flattery. They will signal often a close and personal relationship with their followers. Praise and regard for the guru is usually reciprocated. So I'd probably rank uh, JF as a 3 out of 5 on this scale. Anti-establishment. It's necessary that the orthodox, the establishment, the mainstream media, and the expert consensus are always wrong, at least blinkered and limited, and are incapable of grappling with the real issues. So I'd rate uh, JF a 5 out of 5 in knee-jerk anti-establishmentarianism. Grievance mongering. So feelings of frustration and oppression, feelings of being excluded and disregarded, deprived of ones that manifest rights and recognitions, represent a potent set of negative emotions. Gurus often rely on narratives of grievance pertaining to themselves and to their followers to drive engagement. Right? A worldview in which all is essentially fair and just is not one that will encourage people to search for a guru. So I'd uh, put uh, JF as a 5 out of 5 here. Self-aggrandizement and narcissism is impossible to become a guru without having a sense of grandiosity and an inflated idea of one's self-importance. I'd rank uh, JF a 5 out of 5 here. Cassandra complex gurus like to claim prescience, and uh, they see the end of the world is nigh, have a heightened sense of how the world is not right, ought to be fixed, and they are the persons to do it. 
Unfortunately, the broader public fails to recognize their genius and fails to heed their advice. So gurus often present themselves as a Cassandra, seeing the future and warning of calamity. Right, I'd put uh, JF probably five out of five. Revolutionary theories, right? If galaxy brainness refers to a breadth of knowledge, the ability to forge connections between disparate topics, then the professed development of revolutionary theories displays the depth of their knowledge. Right, I'd rate uh, JF a five out of five here. Pseudo-profound BS. This is their core business for the guru, their stock in trade. They are most comfortable in the role of the armchair, opinionated, the wise man, graciously offering their advice to eager seekers of wisdom. Right, I'd uh, rate uh, JF probably four out of five, five out of five here. Conspiracy mongering. Right, to be a guru, you must set yourself up not only as uniquely insightful, but above and apart from orthodoxies. And uh, that's JF probably four out of five or a five out of five on conspiracy mongering. And uh, last one is profiteering. I don't see uh, JF shilling a lot of uh, nonsense, so probably rate him maybe a a one out of five or a two out of five with regard to profiteering. What you have to do if you're a rational man. What I see here is not a rational man. You are reactive. They're going to take all of this anger and they will eventually use it against you. If you have a, a video reaction like this, and in 12, in, when your kids get 12-year-old and he does say, oh, non-binary to the doctor, you are in trouble, my friend, because you're being too emotional about it. You seem like someone who's making an ideological blockade about it, when really what you should be doing is take the means to protect yourself from the state. Take the means so that you don't have to submit your children to this. But you do because you're a fucking normie who wants your children to play soccer. Uh, the title of the stream could be The Price of Soccer. Bye. The only thing I can be thankful for is that my wife took them. So overwhelmingly, even though I think he's often, he's often right and often sharp and often smart and very professional, I mean, overwhelmingly, the, the net effect of what he's doing is just destructive, just overwhelmingly negative for, for people. Instead of me. And props to my wife because she said something. And if she didn't, they would ask my seven-year-old son the same damn question. The Marxists will tell you that questions don't hurt. That in a way, it's good for them to be habituated to the fact that there are people who think differently. This shit is ridiculous. And to the people out there who think that there's nothing wrong with that, and I'm just a, a, a transphobe or all that shit, you're fucked up. Well, uh, they still have power and they still control the, the hospitals. So how do we set a life forward where you don't have to go to the hospital or to whatever this clinic was uh, every year? You only go there when your child has a leg chopped, basically. This is bullshit. And there's something wrong with you. Well, uh, not very productive. But again, uh, I hope that this guy rationalizes here and understands the state is your enemy. They have trained these doctors to be practicing this as their professional standard. And, and there is no way but to withdraw from society. And there will be costs. This is why I'm, I'm kind of pissed at this kind of guy, because I, I know this kind of guy. I come from families filled with these kinds of guys. These kinds of guys who would know that the gender crap is evil but they wouldn't know how to protect themselves from it. And they would eventually succumb to the gender crap, to the vaccine, because they want this little advantage. They're- well, you can also live in society and live, live within some sort of uh, traditional community, and you can learn to navigate these sort of things. You don't have to completely isolate yourself. Something that I've been predicting, and many other people have been predicting, the alarming rise of eggless, childless woman who become old, demented, and psychotic, just like... Okay, it is sad, the number of childless women. It's also sad, the number of childless men. 
like a lot of women that are younger also. But because they're so desperate in combination with their childlessness, and they can't understand that when you pass the wall, there's no going back. When you, it doesn't matter that you can look attractive or, or look by. So in my life experience, most women have a very accurate sense of their own sexual attractiveness. Uh, in my experience, women who are eights know they're eights and don't think of themselves as sevens. The standard of modern beauty, a nice-looking 40-year-old, you are simply not interesting for reproduction. So you're playing a totally different game of parasitism for no reason at all. Okay, harsh truths, but he could also apply the same kind of hard-headed analysis to himself and to, to men. Right? It's not like uh, women are just the only group out there who's messing up society of the century is uh, starting and one of the predictions i had done in my christmas stream for 2023 i had said 2023 will not be a a, a year of big big events and big news so he's pretty good at analyzing technology and things such as uh, threads versus twitter so this is a stream he does four reasons why threads will fail and i think he's right on news but it will be a foundational year because of the evolution of the internet infrastructure was this a correct prediction looking back? Holy shit, it was accurate. I said that 2023 would be the year at which it gets determined which platforms control the public conversation, which platforms uh, are the ones to win if you want to win the political race. And it's happening. Mark Zuckerberg is trying to get a slice of the pie of the online political conversation. Mark Zuckerberg's first tweet in over a decade is a playful jab at Elon Musk's Twitter. Mark Zuckerberg published this meme without, uh, without caption. Uh, listen, you, you, me, me, uh, I, I don't know. He's trying to, to suggest people didn't win. So historically, you can't just copy Twitter and become better than Twitter because at best, you attract a subset of what Twitter attracts. That is the first reason threads will fail because I've tried the platform. It is just like Twitter visually. In terms of content, that is the second reason why I think Threads long-term will fail. Although it will attract its bunch of leftists and celebrities and people who don't want the challenge of the true PVP public space that Twitter is. Um, the second reason is the content there already extremely feels super narrowed into the everyday conversation of absolutely zero importance. I was hanging out on there. The type of people that are on there, they, they think that just, just making a thread about whatever crap that they're doing, like, oh, yeah, right now I'm going there. Oh, yeah, uh, right now I'm going to a park. Okay, that's a pretty, sh pretty sharp analysis, I think. That's a uh... personal one. It was not one where I, 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 didn't, I never intended that my crowd would join me on that. I never, I never asked for help in finding the places where Nick Fuentes was using. Home so this is JF revealing how he got uh, Nick Fuentes banned from YouTube. This is from... About uh, three years Mofabic ago, three and I did half years it all ago. myself. For the last few weeks, I've been regularly watching some clips of Nick Fuentes and uh, noting timestamps. And those of you who really follow the TPS show, you know that I know my stuff. It's like whenever he had a strike, I knew where the timestamp was. That's because I do a lot of research. Uh, I spend my days, especially when I'm in a quest for vengeance, especially when I've been uh, insulted, I will spend my days out of my intellectual resources in documenting your errors, and I will hit with reports, which is what I had done when I had gotten Destiny banned from Twitter. Um, we even got a temporary ban going on Twitch. Uh, when I see some someone who's an enemy of mine uh, violating the TOS, I will I will go on a absolutely autistic quest to document every single timestamp 
where a homophobic slur can be used or some violation of the rules or an appeal to violence, and I will pursue the destruction of those who attack me. Now, here's where I hope that we can agree. Here's where I Okay, and here he talks about he's happy to work with Antifa. On the chat, bring down Nick So Nick Quintes is now in my black book. I've uh, blocked him on Twitter, and uh, I will do what I do when people fall in my black book. I will um, take joy in all of their failures. I will document their failures on this show until the day they die. I will not talk with them. I will not engage with them. And the day they die, I will write their biography and underline just how uh, how poorly their lives have been spent uh, pursuing bad ideas and uh, being wrong all the time, this will be part of their eulogy. Of course, uh, Nick has decided that instead of addressing my ideas and my comments, which I find very relevant for the right wing, or worst case scenario, if you don't find them relevant, you don't comment on them, you know, but, uh, but instead of engaging with my non-personal attacks of him and his ideas and say, here's why JF is wrong, he decided to do the easy uh, low-hanging fruit to attack my family, attack my past relationships. Uh, and so he is now in my black book. I will be uh, feeling joy at every moment where he fails, at every moment where he progressively gets destroyed. In fact, I will uh, participate to Antifa uh, um, activities aimed at deplatforming him. Fuck him. Yeah, so not not usually a winning strategy for life to be so so obsessed with with vengeance. Tristan Tate, and he's been approached by a lot of people on the right on the internet because he's he's newly involved in this podcast that he built on Rumble with his uh, brother Andrew Tate. And of course, as anyone who starts uh, the process of podcasting, there are a bunch of people in the chat who come and who say, hey, are you red-pilled about the Jewish question? Uh, have you looked into it? Do you realize that what you've been talking about in terms of the matrix uh, <clears throat> very much has been discussed by people interested in the question of the Jewish contribution to our cultural phenomena? And ultimately, are you, are, are you taking a position on this? And Tristan Tate's reaction on video, I saw it a couple of days ago. I didn't comment on it, but now he's reacted also on Twitter. It's basically a denial and the classical, what do I care? What do I care if Jews are successful? Like, I'm successful. They're successful. What do I care? I want to explain to him, and I think he's a good faith guy because you know why? After I tweeted my tweet explaining, laying out the reasons why you should care, he actually followed me on Twitter. So thank you, Tristan, for being an, a guy who appears to be interested in honest engagement and rationality. Although your emotional denial at the beginning when people approach you with this question, totally understandable, you know? Sometimes this question is so emotional and we've been so much trained onto this taboo that you cannot discuss this. That it is normal for any normal person to just emotionally reject this subject once or twice. But what really makes you a man is your willingness to find the truth after to kind of walk back and say, hey, you know what? Let's see what's the best. Okay, so let's learn about your willingness to find the truth. Let's hear about your documentation. It's argument for this side. And I tried to lay out for you, uh, Tristan, five reasons why you cannot understand society. You cannot understand the matrix until you understand the question of Jewish power and, and Jewish uh, overrepresentation. So if there was zero Jewish power in the United States, England, France, uh, Germany... Sweden, uh, how, how would those countries be, be different? All right. That's, I think that's the, the most stark way of putting it. In many industries of America. So here's what I told him. Uh, well, let's start with what he tweeted. So he was referring to his video uh, response to the question, and he said, my answer was a non-answer. 
It wasn't supposed to be convincing. It was supposed to wake people like you up and realize that spamming Twitter about the JQ isn't going to get you where you want or change a thing. I've got hundreds of millions of dollars and a fantastic life. The fuck do I care if a Jew owns my bank? Nick himself is a self-confessed incel. He's talking about Nick Ferentes here. Nick himself is a self-confessed incel, no? Of course he talks about Jews all the time. I'm busy talking beautiful women on dates. Jews might own my restaurant. Who cares? You don't get it. So to be clear, Tristan, the, the people... Uh, Ricardo says, Luke is trying to bait Ken Brown into noticing him by stealing his shtick. Uh, this is not... Uh, <laughs> I mean, seriously, anyone think I'm, I'm going around thinking, oh, how can I bait Ken Brown? I haven't thought about Ken Brown since uh, Elliot Blatt mentioned him on the stream, what, a week ago, two weeks ago? Uh, he's not, uh, you know, a major source of uh, of uh, my, my thoughts. I mean, he has his his amusing moments. Uh, Ford is crafty, like, but Luke is a PR pro trying to, yeah, stealing his stick. This is nothing like what uh, Ken Brown does. Ken Brown will go on a rant, uh, lies on the right, but he doesn't bother to provide much evidence, if any evidence. He doesn't allow people to speak for themselves. He would just go on a spontaneous rant, accusing people of being liars. Doesn't feel any moral obligation, intellectual obligation, any decency obligation to provide evidence for why people are, are liars. It's just you know rants that he goes on. I'm trying to document how and, and decode how people operate and allow them to speak, you know, in lengthy excerpts. So completely different approach from Ken Brown going on a, a rant. Often he'll go on these rants about liars on the right, make a 20, 30, 40 minute video and not provide one little bit of evidence of any lie by the purported subject of his rant. People who are alarmed at Jewish power and the Jewish question are not telling you it would matter in any industries and it would matter if they own your restaurant. That is not the point. I said, this is an example of people being intentionally obtuse on questions that relate to Jewish people because they don't want to face reality. Here, Tristan, is why you should care about certain industries being subjected to overrepresentation by a given ethnic group. One, it raises the question of whether a meritocracy-based free market is operating in that industry as opposed to an ethnic cartel. Okay, so for, for, for what Jeff is saying to be true, every group must have identical characteristics, right? As soon as you recognize that different people have different gifts, it invalidates his point. Right. If you accept that different people have different gifts, then you expect different people to succeed in some areas of life, other people to succeed in completely different areas of life. Right. I, I'm never going to be a medical doctor. I'm never going to be a, an athlete. Right. I've never displayed any athletic talent. I've never displayed any scientific talent. Right. I have a narrow set of, of skills. Right. Different groups have different gifts. And just because a group is disproportionately successful in one area doesn't mean that you know, there's some kind of ethnic cartel operating. What, what's a more likely explanation? Different people have different gifts or there's some ethnic cartel that is just controlling things. For example, free speech on social media. I was banned for years for talking about this question. The only thing that brought me back into the public eye is Elon Musk taking back Twitter. But Was this why you were banned or was it just a whole series of things that you said that uh, led to you being banned? And I do not support uh, banning JF Garapi from social media he's nothing like alex jones i don't think it's good that uh, 
many Jewish organizations have taken the lead promoting censorship on social media. I don't think it's good that an ethnic organization like uh, the Anti-Defamation League essentially gets to set free speech criteria on social media, that uh, an ethnic lobby like the Anti-Defamation League gets to decide what can be said on, on social media. I think that's bad. But would it be that different if there was no Anti-Defamation League? Are the perspectives of non-Jewish intellectuals in these areas substantially different from those of Jewish intellectuals and Jewish organizations? All right, I'd like to see some evidence on that. Right, to, to the best of my knowledge, there's very little difference between mainstream Jews and non-Jews, mainstream liberals and mainstream lefties, whether they're Jews or non-Jews, with regard to social media censorship. When I was looking at who was banning me and who was banning my friends, it's, it's always been very apparent that it was mostly Jewish women at trust and safety uh, departments of a list of various social media. And so if it, if it wasn't uh, Jewish women, really, would it, be, would it be that different? I mean, where's the evidence that it would be that different if uh, it's uh, left-wing non-Jews? I mean, if you're going to touch on incendiary topics like this, uh, surely you're going to come with some evidence other than just your anecdotal impressions. Media, they were making my life hard. So whether you deserve your number of... So have uh, non-Jews made your life hard? Is it only the Jews who've made your life hard? Have you made your own life hard? Followers and the attention that's given to you, or whether it's a network of people who are controlling which IDs will get the most exposure is an extremely important question. We must make sure that ideological conversation on the web and in life in general is not subjected to an ethnic cartel because the ethnic cartel will inevitably censor what's against their political interests and will let succeed what is for their political interests. Okay, but where's the evidence that uh, left-wing perspectives on social media censorship or mainstream centrist center-left perspectives are any different between Jews and non-Jews? I'm unaware of evidence that there's any substantial difference. To the extent there is a difference, uh, Jews consistently poll more in support of free speech than any other group in the United States. So that is the first reason why you should care about the ideological, cultural, and ethnic constitution of the entire system of censorship, social media, shadow banning, exposure, public conversations of all kind. Number two, it raises the question of whether hidden political agendas may influence the quality of the product in ways that the consumer may not be properly informed about. For yeah, I'm sure there are all sorts of hidden considerations that uh, influence what's going on in the world. So I am all for you know, open discussion on these topics. I believe Jews, non-Jews, Anglicans, blacks, whites, gays, trans, every single group in the world benefits from accurate criticism. So talk about the Jewish question, the Anglican question, the Irish question, the, the black question, the gay question, the straight question, the, the Orthodox Jewish question, the uh, Baha'i question, right? Talk about every group. Let's have accurate criticism and accurate praise of individuals and groups. It makes us all better, helps us all think more clearly. For example, someone reading the New York Times but not aware that the coverage will be favorable to a Jewish outlook on society. Okay, is there much evidence for that? I, I know with my Jewish friends, they think that the New York Times is particularly anti-Israel. 
I, I don't share that. I don't see the New York Times as anti-Israel. I don't see it as particularly pro-Israel either. I mean, the idea that the New York Times is some rabid Zionist publication seems to be completely divorced from reality. That is a problem. Uh, I've spent so many years of my life believing thinkers, reading thinkers, until I realized at one point that they, they were completely irrational on a given subject. Like Sam Harris. I was like, okay, I'm f Well, I think everybody's irrational on, on some subjects. Right? That's why we need to think socially. You need to think face-to-face -face as much as possible, and socially, we need each other. All right, it's not generally a good idea to go isolate yourself, as JF has done over the past four years, and paid a big price for it. Following what he's saying in this book, and this book, and this book, and then he would say something about Muslims, and I would be like, what the fuck? How, how do I take the thinker that I know and that I've been reading about, and how do I explain that he would reach this conclusion on Muslims? That, that he would, it would be totally bigoted against Muslims? Or how would, I, how would he conclude to be so deranged by Trump, by the rise of... Okay, is it possible for people to have negative views of a group uh, without some kind of irrational ethnic bigotry going on here? Uh, given that different groups often have different gifts, often have different interests, you would expect that there would be group conflict. And if you're a strongly identifying member of one in-group, it would make perfect sense that you'd have negative feelings about you know, some out-group. For example, if you really enjoy being gay, if you celebrate being gay, if you're all, all about being gay, it would be weird if you didn't hate traditional Christianity and traditional Judaism. Because traditional Christianity and traditional Judaism are strongly opposed to men having sex with men. Right. If you're a traditional Jew or a traditional Christian, it would be weird if you didn't have some negative sentiments towards same-sex marriage and you know, celebration of uh, gay pride. You can't have a strong in-group identity as a traditional Christian or a traditional Jew without having considerable animus towards gay pride. You can't have gay pride without having considerable animus towards traditional Christianity and traditional Judaism. If you're a strongly identifying Jew, how do you not have negative feelings about Muslims and Arabs who are a threat to the existence of the Jewish state? If you're a strongly identifying Arab or Muslim, how do you not have animus towards Jews because the existence of a Jewish state in your midst is an ongoing humiliation as the Jewish state consistently you know, out-excels what uh, the Arab and Muslim states around it are producing? So a lot of life is zero-sum. If you're strongly identifying Ukrainian, how do you not have negative feelings about Russia? If you're strongly identifying Russian, how do you not have negative feelings about Ukraine and all those nations sending arms to Ukraine? of Trump. And the only thing that, that I could figure out that made me click in terms of my understanding of all this, and there are other thinkers that, that I was confused until I figured out, no, they think of politics from a Jewish perspective. It changes the whole rational system. It changes the... Uh, Ricardo says, Luke hosts the best online sausage parties in LA. Yes, my audience, according to YouTube analytics, is 100% male. And uh, Ricardo is just a tremendous gift to my life because he has all sorts of qualities and abilities where I have none. And so he, he compliments me, not in the sense that he says I'm good. He compliments me in the sense that where I am just totally a zero, you know, Ricardo brings it strong. The way they look at it and ultimately when they surprise you with, with something that you could not have predicted, you will understand, oh, 
I have Christian cognition. I have Christian belief. I come from a Christian family. I think of the world in a certain way. They think of the world in a totally different way. They think of it, for example, in relation to Israel. They think of themselves as being in a war for existence against Muslim nations that are around them, and they consider themselves under threat. I wouldn't consider myself threatened by Muslim nations, but they do. So for understanding the world better... Yeah, I, I suspect if uh, JF had five, six, seven negative experiences with Muslims in a row, he'd probably develop some negative anti-Muslim sentiments. If you have five or six negative experiences in a row with pretty much any outgroup, you are very likely to develop negative sentiments towards that outgroup. That's just how the world works. It's important that when you read intellectuals and when you read the media, that you can tell the difference between which media is Jewish or Zionist and which is not. Number three. Uh, Ricardo says, Luke has a hole in his life and I feel it. No, Luke has a hole in his show and Ricardo helps to fill it, as do people like Ricardo. All right, Ricardo has something like, I don't know, is it emotional intelligence or some kind of common sense grasp of reality, along with other people in my life, right, who just have these, this sense of things, this, they, they hear things, they see things, they feel things that, where I'm just, like, completely deaf, dumb, and, and silent. It raises the question about loyalty to the tribe when it comes in conflict with loyalty to one's function. For example, Michael Cohen, Trump's attorney, betraying him. There are so many stories out there of what we could call handlers. They are people who work in the staff or they work for someone. There were cases with Kanye West where they feel that they have a one-to-one -one interaction that is honest with someone. Uh, in, the case of, uh, in, in the case of Kanye West. So for, for plenty of uh, Jews, being Jewish is not a particularly strong, you know, important value. That's why they marry non-Jews. But for some Jews, being Jewish is their number one value, right? They're highly ethnocentric Jews, Irish, French, Germans, English, Australians, Japanese, Chinese, right? Not, you know, not every black person is their number one priority in life being black. Or not for every gay person is like you know, being gay the, the number one priority. So this idea that if someone's you know, Jewish or gay or you know, French or, or Japanese, that that has to be the number one value that overrides their professional obligations is absurd. Right? Plenty of Jews are in the professions. They don't have above average rates of uh, malpractice. Yeah. Uh, it was this Andrew Pasternak guy who was a gym, uh, a gym counselor of Ye. And eventually the mast falls. And eventually Andrew Pasternak, because Ye was going, was trending on an ideological direction that he didn't like, he started threatening Ye's family. He started threatening Ye with psychiatric imprisonment against his will. And Michael Cohen was another case where he's the employee of Trump. He should be loyal to Trump. But eventually Trump becomes too much of a Republican. I don't know the full story with Michael Cohen. And yeah, attorneys have obligations to their client. But it was a very complicated place. So if Michael Cohen was, say, facing 30 years in prison for turning on Trump, right, I suspect a lot of people would uh, turn on Trump in those circumstances. I don't think it has anything to do or much to do with Michael Cohen being Jewish. Too much of someone who's anti-war and who's against globalism, and eventually Cohen just turns against him, starts making up crime, trying to drag Trump in the process. Uh, he was unsuccessful for much of it. This is a case where you can seriously ask where these people... I mean, how much respect did uh, Donald Trump treat Michael Cohen with? Right? It seems like uh, Donald Trump treated Michael Cohen with contempt a great deal, 
And for a long time, Michael Cohen just accepted it. And I just think of the analogy of Dennis Dale, right? He's always very nice in our streams, but he obviously feels that I treated him with contempt or disregard, and he finally you know, vented about it. So a lot of people that we think that we just have this great relationship with, they're just building a resentment. And Michael Cohen may very well have been building a resentment about uh, Donald Trump's you know, disrespectful treatment of him. Paul, more ultimately in their heart, were they really feeling that they were on Team Trump or Team Ye, or were they always on a team that was against their interest? That is one thing that will allow you to understand news events better. Are people feeling that they're part of another team than the one they reveal? Four, it raises the question of asymmetric access. To yeah, sometimes people have a, a hidden in-group identity. All right, sometimes people have very hidden loyalties, right? Nothing there, however, that is unique to Jews. Political lobbying leading to enrichment of the group. For example, the over-representation in the judiciary and intelligence communities, which both participated in the COVID moral panic and the related censorship, which ultimately benefited companies whose CEOs were, you guessed it. One important way... Yeah, and do you think there'd really be any difference if the CEOs were not Jewish? You can understand the COVID moral panic is to look at the players, to look at the constitutions of these big corporations that benefited from fear, from vaccines, from, from both the fear and setting the solution to the fear, the purported solution to the fear, the vaccine, the mask. Yeah, well, by now the evidence is overwhelming that uh, COVID vaccine reduced hospitalizations, reduced death rates, and did far more good than harm. So you'd have to be very far down a conspiracy rabbit hole to believe otherwise, if you're at all interested in the evidence. You look at the operatives in these companies, you look at the CEOs of these companies, and then you look at the media. That are Yeah, Jews are disproportionately successful because Ashkenazi Jews in America have an average IQ of around 110, and uh, that's going to predispose that group to disproportionate amounts of success, just like Indian Americans also have a pretty high IQ, or also you know, particularly high achieving. As That has cultivated this state of fear into the people and you realize that it is a whole team of people who had ethnic interests tying them together it is a whole yeah how do you know that they have ethnic interests i suspect that many of the people you're just talking about particularly jews in media and jews in hollywood are married to non-jews so if uh, they're primarily motivated by ethnic interests why are they building a life and creating families with non-jews team of people, the, the media was making the job of Pfizer, and Pfizer was part of the team of the media, and knowing what that team is, that is, in many cases, we are talking... Now, th there is room for skepticism about very close ties between pharmaceutical companies, you know, underwriting a lot of news media coverage, and then the news media coverage being highly favorable to pharmaceutical companies. So underneath this critique, there is a worthy critique. Talking about companies that are overrepresented in the Jewish category is extremely important. You won't understand what we've been going through in this whole COVID thing, the, the whole two years of COVID moral panic, if you don't understand the Jewish question. Really? So how would the COVID experience have been different if there weren't any Jews involved? How exactly? Where's the evidence? There are plenty of countries where Jews played a minimal role in the COVID response, right? Hardly any Jews in Sweden, very few Jews in Germany. Didn't seem to change policies in those countries. And five, it raises questions around truth and how our access to it is being manipulated 
for example, lies in relation to weapons of mass destruction to justify wars in the Middle East that benefited, you guessed it. Um, Benjamin Netanyahu, a couple of months before America would invade Iraq, was in front of Congress saying to the American Congress, you should really attack Saddam Hussein. I can give Yes, it's true that the Israel lobby played a significant role in promoting the invasion of Iraq in 2003, but it wasn't the dominant role, right? The dominant people behind the decision to invade Iraq in 2003 were non-Jews, such as President George W. Bush, uh, Donald Rumsfeld, and uh, you know, the various leaders of the, the Bush administration. And when you survey groups, Jews were more opposed to the invasion of Iraq than, than pretty much any other group. I mean, Jews very strongly, by 10 or 20 percentage points, had a more negative perspective on American Jews on the invasion of Iraq in 2003 than the average American. Guarantee the American Congress that a war again that removes Saddam Hussein would have extremely positive reverberations onto the whole Middle East. And eventually we get built, this whole story builds into a big lie that Saddam Hussein has weapons of mass destruction. Right, but that, uh, that big lie didn't come from the Jews, right? That, that big lie came from non-Jews in the American political system. This lie is told to the, by the media to the American people and used as a justification to invade Iraq, a country that had a couple of jeeps for its army that wasn't a threat to America in any way. Israel was far more concerned about Iran rather than Iraq. Right? Iran posed a much you know, more significant threat to the Jewish state of Israel than Iraq. All of this was pulled by a series of players from Bibi Netanyahu, the president of Israel, or prime minister, prime minister. So Bibi Netanyahu, the leader of Israel, uh, the media with an overarching Jewish representation. So there are a lot of non-Jews in the media. Was there a significant difference in the coverage and the run-up to the invasion of Iraq between Jews and non-Jews? JF couldn't be bothered to you know, find any evidence there. I'm unaware of any significant difference in the coverage of the run-up to the war in Iraq between Jewish journalists and non-Jewish journalists. A bunch of intelligence agencies with, over, with overrepresented Jewish... Now, it is true that there were a large number of Jewish organizations in the United States supporting the invasion of Iraq because they did believe it would be good for Israel. So the, the, Jewish, the Israel lobby did play a role, an unfortunate role in the invasion of Iraq, but it wasn't the prime mover. ...contingents. And one has to ask, other than Israel, what did these war in the Middle East serve in terms of American interest? Nothing. It well, the idea behind these invasions of Afghanistan and Iraq from the Bush administration perspective was that if there was even one in a thousand chance of some other 9-11 type attack, that it would be better to not take that chance and to invade these countries and clean them up, that would supposedly render America more safe. Now, obviously, retrospect, the invasions of Afghanistan in 2001 and Iraq in 2003 were absolute disasters, disasters that were primarily driven by non-Jews, not by Jews. It serves none of our interest. So we get told lies. We get told lies by a bunch of players we can recognize who work together yeah, is there a significant difference in the quality and quantity of the lies told to support the invasions of Afghanistan and Iraq between uh, 
leading Jews and leading non-Jews. I'm not aware of a significant difference here. And it's important that you understand who these players are if you're going to understand American military interventions for the last three decades. For all these reasons, Tristan, it is... Yeah, was it, was it the Jews who were behind invading Grenada in 1983, who were behind uh, invading Panama in 1989, who were for uh, throwing Iraq out of Kuwait in the first Gulf War in 1990-1991? And because it touches so much of the themes that you guys are talking, you will have to get interested more than you currently are about the Jewish question. Uh, you will have to get interested in it if you want to be relevant when you comment about the deception of men in our society. Because who gets deceived to go into wars based on lies? It is mostly men. You will have to get interested in terms of the deception that is uh, thrown onto populations by the media. You keep talking about how the media is corrupt and wrong. Not only is it corrupt and wrong, it has a bias to it. It has an ethnic bias to it. You will start noticing this when you, when you let the... Yeah, well, if different groups have, have different gifts, you would expect you know, different groups have different levels of success in different parts of the economy, different parts of culture, and different parts of publishing and media. These commentators influence you. These guys who came to you on, on your super chats and who ask you these questions, they want, they want your brain to feel good. They, they want to help you figure it out. All right, not a strong performance by JF there. Jeff Younger was saying, I wish the American right was this smart. French far-right influencer Papa Chito to his followers, do not intervene, let the Republic go to the end of its logic. I want to review this full video because he expresses so well what I would want to say to you guys and what has been my position for years. Uh, it is absolutely beautifully said, so let's get started. I will, I will read in English uh, above his French voice. I'm receiving lots of messages asking what should we do? Should we intervene? We can't let it happen. You guys don't get it. We need to be smart. France is a country which is very attached to its regime, the Republic, and yet it owes what is happening right now to this regime. So JF would be happy to see Western civilization go up in smoke so that it could be replaced by something better. He'd be happy to see the United States of America, as it's currently constituted, Canada, France, just go up in smoke. He's got that French revolutionary impulse, right? may condemn the Jewish revolutionary impulse, but uh, Jean-Francois, I can see him storming the Bastille or uh, leading the, the counter-revolution. Uh, you know, he's got, he's got there's something distinctly French, I think, about uh, Jean-Francois Garapie's revolutionary impulse. If you intervene now, you will actually come to the rescue of this regime. You will rescue this regime, which is teetering under its own indulgence. There's been so much indulgence towards certain people that they now feel invincible. All this laxity is making the regime fall. Intervening now is to come to the rescue to a regime and to a people who firstly voted to perpetuate this regime and furthermore who voted for Emmanuel Macron. So to see you guys about to help them, I realize there really is an issue. The European of a century ago understood these things. Now, to be perfectly clear, you must leave the hordes of Hans ransack the residences of people who voted for Emmanuel Macron. Now they're reaching the city centers, the suburbs, the places full of boomers who voted for Macron, boomers who don't care about leaving your country in shambles. Those very same boomers are being faced with hordes of funds. You shouldn't intervene now. Now you must leave misinformed people, discover reality for themselves without the BFM TV filter. 
I have to tell you, I'm gloating. For 10 days, they've been explaining that I was a threat to the Republic, to democracy. A bunch of journalists really said that. Okay, do you, you think if this guy was happy, married with kids, had a, a vibrant life with community and an extended family, that he would be happy and gloating to see France going up in flames? Right, these seem like antisocial impulses. To see now what really threatened the Republic. It's great. Let it happen. How do you expect the French to understand Never get if they never get a spanking? It's like children. Boomers are like children. They need to experience the catastrophe in their flesh to understand what's going on, what's at stake in France right now. So, so I was just thinking today, why do so many people go nuts when they get red-pilled? And the type of person who goes nuts and spirals downward when they get red-pilled is someone who has a big chip on their shoulder, that life hasn't treated them fair, that people haven't treated them fair, and then they use their red-pilling experience to try to wreak as much havoc and destruction and pain to those who have wronged them as possible, which then triggers other people to retaliate, sending many lives spiraling downhill. This guy seems to have a pretty big chip on his shoulder that uh, France hasn't accorded him the honor and status that he, he deserves, and now he's laughing and rejoicing in seeing his country burn. So what's going on right now is a godsend. We've got to let the Republic go to the end of its logic. What the suburbs are doing right now, of course the motive is bullshit. Hey, they don't ransack have... when one of their... What's going on, bro? What's up, man? Hey, how are What's you? Long going time on? to talk. I know. It's good to talk to you. Um, you know, I would love to comment on this sort of overall theme of JF and the JQ. I just feel like that's uh, self-destructive behavior that I'm really trying to get away from. <laughs> right. Yeah, but, <laughs> but you can use uh, analogies and stuff. Come on. Well, you know, yeah. You know, I just have one little story, which was like, you know, when we talk about whether someone's worldview is correct, right? I mean, you have to look at, like, the predictive power of that worldview. Like, yeah. And it was interesting because sometimes um, my son really likes Wheel of Fortune, right? And so he's, like, playing a couple episodes we have, like, saved up on YouTube TV, right? And on comes... uh you know, normally there's not, you don't see a lot of, um, you don't see a lot of like Jewish people on there. It's like, you know, just, you know, really people for whom like the $10,000 like really makes their year. You know what I mean? This is not yeah. Jeopardy. Yeah. Um, and this guy Ari comes on and I'm like, oh, I was like, watch, this guy's going to get everything, including the car. And my son's like, why? And my wife said, I was like, well, because his cousin's the producer. Right. <laughs> and so here's the thing. I said this at the very beginning of the show. And I am like someone who I do a crossword puzzle every day, like the Washington Post Sunday. You know, I I'm a I am very good at this game. OK. And this guy is like getting all the answers before, in my mind, what's really possible. You know what I mean? It, it's like. And, and then by the end, like it come up on Final Jeopardy. And he, like, guesses, like, every letter he needs to and then, like, gets the most expensive prize in the pile. And it was like, damn, how did that all just go down? <laughs> like, <laughs> and, and, you know, maybe he's just super talented. But I'm like, you know, I sort of – I had a bias. I, I had a narrative of, like, how this was going to happen, and it kind of, like, played out that way. And, like, 
could you even see that if you didn't come in with certain preconceptions about how certain people, you know, tend to operate? Right. Uh, uh, but, but, but think about, I mean, a lot of Jews have the, the opposite. Did you see the Robert Redford movie quiz show? There was this uh, Jewish guy who was doing really oh, well, yes. but the producers didn't want a, you know, very nebbishy, very stereotypical in a negative sense, Jew winning the prize. So they slanted the contest so that this erudite Anglo-Saxon would win the, win the game. So I, I'm sure these things happen well, in, well, in that was many also, different that was also a, I mean, that was also a movie and that also like sort of like fits into like a portrayal. Um, I mean, who made that movie? Who's the victim? Who's, who are we rooting for? Who's been wronged? Well, you know. Robert Redford made the movie. He was the director, so he's not Jewish. Did he pay for it? Did he did he write the checks? Um, I'm sure the Hollywood studios wrote the checks, which yes. are disproportionately operated by Yes. Jews. So I'm just saying, you know, there's like uh you know, there there's a there's something floating around on Twitter today. Oh gosh, what is it? It's about um it's about the Jeffrey Dahmer movie and in Netflix, like how they like made up this character. Who's like this, the, the smart black woman who like is crying out the whole time that like, yes, Jeffrey Dahmer's a, a, a killer, but yeah. no one wants to listen to her basically because racism, right? Yeah. Like you, you, you play up these aspects to like make a, you know, to basically project the, 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 whoever's making this movie, whoever's controlling the narratives, prejudices like you know they get put in there and that that's fine yeah i mean but, there's pro pro gay pro pro jewish pro trans pro sure. women pro black there are all sorts of like liberal pet causes that uh, dominate our movies and tv yeah absolutely and it's i i can't even watch anymore um i can't even watch have you have you noticed by the way how gay soccer is like when did soccer i mean when I was a kid, actually, in Australia, is soccer like a thing in Australia, or are they kind of like... It's like probably the it, number six sport. But of, of professional soccer players, very, very few have uh, claimed to be gay, and they would get a tremendous amount of acclaim if they came out. So the incentives are all for them to come out. But professional male athletes, they are almost never gay, including soccer. Well, well hold on. So, so a couple of things. Just because the media, I mean, they still have to live in the locker room. And that world, it, I mean, you don't live on TV. I mean, sports, team sports. I was talking to my, wife to, this about, to my wife about this tonight. Like, you know, when we say sports, like, is swimming a sport? Is racing a sport? I mean, it kind of is. You know, like, gymnastics is kind of a sport. But, like, what sets team sports and boxing and like combat sports apart is like the violence, the head to head, like battle, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I think like, sure, you can have gay gymnasts and gay swimmers and gay tennis players. I mean, you know, maybe not even, I mean, tennis players at least go head to head, you know? Yeah. I, but, I don't know of many gay tennis players. I mean, yeah. men, men. Like, right. Because it's like, lesbian. it's a, it's yeah. a, I mean, you're physically dominating the other man. I mean, you're, yeah. you know, it's, um, so like within those worlds, absolutely. Now, do people have vices? You know what I'm saying? Like you have Trevor Bauer who's getting off, like punching chicks in the pussy after knocking them out. Like that's pretty depraved. 
too. You know what I mean? So yeah, obviously I'm sure some of these guys like harbor homosexual feelings or, and may act on them in different ways or whatever. Right. Like it's still possible and still be an athlete. You know what I mean? It's but possible, but it almost never happens. Like in, in team male sports, whether it's football or, or soccer or basketball or, or tennis or, or golf, there it's just, it's not, it's not a gay thing. Like they almost never turn out to be gay. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I guess what I'm saying is like, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I absolutely, I, I think it, it's very unlikely that a homo like reaches that pinnacle of, of sports, right? Like, yeah. Um, but it's possible, right? And I'm saying there's probably closet cases, right? Oh, remember I, I, you, a- I, I'm only, I'm only saying this in the sense of you have, you, you mentioned like the media adulation, like, yeah. Yeah, but, but, but wait, like, wait, wait, there was a Raiders, there was a Las Vegas Raiders defensive end. He was an yes. out gay man, and he had to take a day off after the coach was outed of having released some emails that contained homophobic slurs. So this uh, Las Vegas Raiders gay defensive end, he had to take the day off to deal with, you know, the intensity of his emotions and finding out that his coach in private emails had made some homophobic slurs. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, the entryism. You just can't let any of these people in. I mean, it should be a fireable offense because it's just like, hey, listen, we've been going along just fine without that here. We don't need that here. <laughs> like, we don't need to accommodate that because, like, to accommodate you requires too much of a cultural change. It's just not fair to everybody. Yeah. How do you think that affects team cohesion? Yeah, I mean, it's ridiculous. But, but because it's like, you, you're, you're. You're not asking for like one fifty fifth of the accommodations of as a team member. Like you're right. it's it's like a there's a narcissistic demand for like everybody to like change their values to accommodate you. And it's like, no man, that's on you. You know what I mean? That's your problem that we don't um you know, whatever. Yeah, it's, right. listen, like I, I, we could get into music- the hip- I mean, yeah. society has no problem excluding all kinds of behaviors. And points, even even opinions, you know, sincerely held opinions can can be ostracizable. But um, I guess I mean, I'm, I'm just saying, like, I what I was saying about soccer was like, mm-hmm. you know, when it came to the World Cup, and you had the the the, the hullabaloo about about the, the the pride armbands, right? And and of course, yeah, like women's yeah. soccer is just like a nest of like political yeah. lesbianism. Yeah. Like, and. Like, why are we, why are we trying to wear pride flags in Qatar? Like, what is this? You know, and like, that's what soccer is, you know, like that's, and like, you also see it like the NBA is totally, it's, it's paused in different ways. Right. But, but like what unites them, what makes them different? Because I, I would say that like football and baseball are not doing that. You know what I mean? Uh, I'm sure you know baseball has pride nights every every team except the Rangers apparently and I mean I knew I loved the Rangers for a reason they're the only team that does not do anything for pride okay but wow. like the fact that that is even allowed just goes to show that like these these entities are not like totally they haven't they're not actively promoting this stuff and of course like their fan base is not nearly as like focused in urban centers and 
um, and, and, you know, demographics and all that. But, but I guess what I was saying is like basketball and soccer are international games, particularly they're games like played in Europe. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. football is not, and neither is baseball. And there is like, it's just kind of, they're just kind of global home. They're, they're global homo in a way that like the NFL really isn't. The NFL is something else, which is like NFL, you know, is all about like preaching to white people about black people. You know what I mean? Like the NBA has gone, has, has gone so far. There's not even any white people watching. They don't have to do it anymore. You know, it's like, we just are black now. So, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I think all of them are, are pretty, pretty paused. I'm not sure there's a big difference between the NFL, the NBA, and uh, the soccer World Cup. I mean, this is just the dominant thing that that must be celebrated. It must be pushed before you know an ignorant and backward audience still clinging to their guns and religion and homophobia. I don't know. I don't see Roger Goodell like trying to roll like i don't see him making the kind of decision of rolling into uh qatar like like it's one thing you want to wear your i mean even then why are we wearing rainbow flags at sporting events like what in the world you know i mean the nhl does it another international sport a european sport actually and maybe that's actually what i mean like we've just not like uh like there, no, there's the something NHL European about it. It's not president baseball or football. I mean, it's amazing that the NHL does it because you, you couldn't think of a more homophobic fan base than a hockey fan base. <laughs> I know, but they're Canadians too. It's like so Canadian. And Canada is just like, these countries are just, they're under the control of somebody. They, okay, this is the thing. Like, let's bring this back to the topic of the day. Okay. Who's in charge? Someone is in charge because, like, it doesn't really make sense that, like, a country would be this self-destructive. It's well, beholden the- to, like, some class or some some group. And, like, we can, we can name it as, like, PMCs or, um, you know, the, the – uh, what did you used to say? The press – no, the Anglicans – it's called Anglican conspiracy. <laughs> well, it's just the left. The left runs all of our institutions with the partial exception of parts of the military and parts of business. But aside from that, the left runs medicine. They run universities. They run schools, education. They, they dominate the federal bureaucracy, state bureaucracy. They dominate uh, the legal system. They dominate social work, uh, psychology, counseling, psychiatry. Uh, dentistry, accounting, I would assume. Well, and, every and, and every they, institution yes. is dominated by the left. Well, and they, they've done this because they have basically accumulated, they have accumulated like a critical mass of client groups to like win elections, right? They've like, they managed to position themselves as they got open door on immigrants, right? They've got, you know, that white women gays, like, you know, whatever, you know, you know, the coalition, mm-hmm. but that's their foot soldiers. Right. And like, ironically, and these people are basically all driven by like hatred of white males that are in charge and they see the white males are in charge and really white males are in charge. Now we could, we're going to need to white is a, is a visual thing. Right. Mm-hmm. And so they see 
white people in charge. And yes, there are white people at the top of the pyramid, but it's not their whiteness per se is that the reason that they are there. Like this, the specific groups that are like the people with $100 million plus trust funds. Okay. And so the fact that like the left is made up or like appears to be made up of this coalition of people, it's like, that's just at the voting booth and that's just on TV. But like the people that bankroll all that are the people who are in charge, the people with the control of the levers of power. They control the violence. They control the propaganda. They control the money. Okay. Like there is a group that is in control and like, so I think that's like beyond doubt and like they, they are white people and they're not like, um, you know, they're not, there are no blacks. Okay. There are, you know what I mean? And, and I don't know, like, I think that it's true. I think that like that group of people has, is like heavily represented with Jews. And I think that's without a doubt. Right. Cause we know, we know that like 40, what is it? Like 40 some percent of the top 1% are Jewish, right? Yes. Yes. Okay. So, so it's heavily Jewish. Yes. And so because of that, like there's a lot of topics that are not, that are verboten. 40% of people don't want to hear about how the Holocaust isn't real that are in this group, you're not going to hear about it, right? That's a lot of representation. Um, you know, are right, they like well, the leaders of the, are they the leaders of the real coalition? Like, you know, I've heard talk of, you know, that in America, there's this like class between like Protestant and like, to your point, like, like wasps, uh, ethnic whites, you know, Catholics and Jews. Right. At different times, they've been more ascendant than others in different places, you know, in the country. Right. Mm -hmm. And right now, like Jews are ascendant. And like their leadership, I think they are in charge. They are the dominant group in the leadership class. And so they because of that, they're going to like. Ought to carry the responsibility of authority, you know, of that power. Right. Yes. Where, where's agree. the accountability? Yeah, I, I agree. Well, I mean, I, I think about the invasion of Iraq. If, if you had to list the 10 most powerful, influential people behind the invasion of Iraq in 2003, I don't think any of them would be Jews. Wouldn't so, Wolfowitz, Wolfowitz, uh, oh, come on, the chat will help us out. Chat, name them. Well, president, it was president, it was decision George W. Bush was the decider. And then uh, Donald Rumsfeld and Dick Cheney. I mean, the, the top three pushing for the invasion of Iraq, definitely not Jewish. Now, Wolfowitz was an assistant in the Pentagon to Dick Rumsfeld, not Jewish. But uh, n- nobody changed George W. Bush's mind. It wasn't like George W. Bush didn't want to go into Iraq and then some Kenny Jews came along and talked him into it. I mean, George W. Bush No, was, I, I don't think so. No, no, yeah. it's not it, – it's probably not as – but there's like position, like our stance on the world stage is set at that time. Like it's not, um, you don't have every possible choice available to you. We are in bed with the Israelis. Like that means our relations with them are high. They're negative with their enemies. Do you know what I mean? There mm-hmm. are, there is a, 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 
a common that enemy effect yeah, of like yeah. that this sort of restricts what's possible and so but but like that issue i mean that issue just goes to show that like when you say it's the left it's not just the left that like there is like the netanyahu wing there's like the fact that desantis goes to israel to sign bills like florida is florida would you agree that Florida has supplanted Texas as sort of like the home of the GOP? Like yes. it's okay. Yes. And, and what is the, the Israel lobby is that, right? Like that. Yeah. I think it's terrible that, uh, that it, it's become illegal to, you know, hand out government contracts to people who, you know, have won't support some Israel uh, pledge. I, I don't think anyone should have to pledge support for Israel in, in the United States to, do business with the government. So I, you know, I think this, you know, anti-BDS, um, you know, anti-BDS legislation to you know, force people to sign off that they're not anti-Israel before they can, you know, get government contracts is yeah, absurd I mean, and it, abusive. I mean, well, well, okay. And I mean, imagine the American, the citizens of the United States, like you said, are somehow obligated in, in like a legal way to like, bow to another flag that's ridiculous who's the vassal of who and and the thing is is like it's profound where the united states is a is a european colony right christian mm-hmm. european colony mm-hmm. and now we're bending the knee to this little like the jewish homeland and like fighting its wars and like oh yeah there's a christian guy in charge so like obviously it's not jews right but like, but what is everybody behind him that funds him? Well, you know, why did people a... like Donald Trump? You know why people like Donald Trump is because it was perceived that Donald Trump was independently wealthy. Mm-hmm. I mean, in my opinion, that's what enabled him to say what he could. Like, it was like, if anyone's capable of being honest, it's him. And then you come to find out, like, it's just Jew casino money. Like, was he always just a front man for these deals for like Jewish casino deals? Well, do do we know that most of his uh, casino deals were from Jewish money? I, I just, don't. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I mean. Again, like he is, he does have a reputation as he eventually got into where like Trump is a brand that you stick on things. He's not building mm-hmm. the buildings. Right. You know, to build a building at that scale means somebody needs to give you a credit facility of a couple hundred million dollars. It's a lot of money. Okay. You don't. Who? Do you, who where do you have to go to get that? Okay. And these these casino rows, I mean, there's they're controlled by extra legal forces. There are extra legal forces at play in yeah. who gets to participate. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with that. And, and there's something going on with Christians, like Christian. Some many Christians like cry about the Jewish state of Israel. I can assure you that uh, Jews in Israel are not, you know, crying about you know Christian states. So there's there's something you know, incredibly pro-Jewish, as well as things that are incredibly anti-Jewish in, in the Christian soul. I mean, there, there are a large number of Christians who just become incredibly emotional over the Jewish state of Israel. Yeah, and it's like, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, I would, I, I honestly, I could tell anyone to their face, like, I really strongly believe that, like, there's no way to you know, take Christianity seriously in a way that like doesn't 
otherized Jews. Like you, you right. clearly right. don't understand. You clearly don't understand like how they perceive this situation. Like you don't, you don't know what you're, what. And I don't mean. Well, it's complicated because we share the same Bible. It's complicated. Like, like literally I'm married to one in my, in my father-in-law is like, you know, he's, he's di- like, he's, a, has different values, but he's still the grandfather of my, of my kids and loves them. You know what I mean? And by extension, like, yeah. you know, he, he does, you know, it's, it's, uh, you know, he's my father-in-law. He's like, he's my father. He is right. So it's, it's not, but, but like, it's just, I'm not going, I don't think that Christians should be manipulated in this way, like controlled in this way. It's fucked up. And it's like, and I just don't, you know, my kids don't identify as Jewish and, or at least, I mean, they, they don't, I mean, who knows what they do in the future as adults, but, um, like, but I mean, you have the the Old Testament, which is a story of the the Jews, and Jesus was Jewish, and uh, quite you know quite attached to the to the Jewish tradition. So it's hard to completely disentangle you know Christian identity from Jewish identity. So normally, the stronger your in group identity, the more hostile you'll be to out groups. But uh, in this particular case, there are a lot of complications with the the Jewish connection to the origins of Christianity. Yeah. No, I mean, there's, there's no question that they're, I mean, they're they're always intertwined, but you know, I mean, Muslims literally revere Jesus and I mean, they have a higher opinion of Jesus than we do. And I I think Americans don't have a problem uh, looking suspiciously upon Muslims. And I think frankly to, to, to Glib's point about ascendancy, uh, about Jews no longer being ascendant, I think that's kind of true. Uh, the torch will probably pass to like the Indians. Yeah. So when more Indians like run run America, do you think uh, America will be you know more right wing? Who? In it's. I, not it's going to change the whole the whole polarization will change it'll be like a sea change it, that it's like uh it's like america's broken into like they consider like four or five six regimes depending how you break it up like these are sea changes like after wars or like major election reshuffles and a lot of it has to do with like changing ethnic makeup like you introduce a bunch of uh ethnic whites and it like transforms politics you know and um, the Indians are interesting. You know, Ramaswamy, I just, he just is so fake, you know? I mean, in like, like so polished. I mean, he's, he's, uh, he's undeniably like charismatic and says all the right things. I mean, would you agree? Yes. And, but it's like, I mean, I told my dad, I was like, there's no way I can vote for an Indian because like, I know how these people are in terms of like, you think Jews are nepotistic. Like, you know, these people make, I mean, they're, they're like Brown Jews. They're Brown Jews. It's just like in terms of their ethnic in-group preference, Jews have, cause well, okay. Here's the thing. Won't Indians just melt into, cause I mean, I kind of do see that too. Like, I mean, I'm from DC 
And I have definitely seen that. Well, I say that. Sorry, I, I know I'm like jumping around. Like, okay, I know Indians that like have lots of white friends, right? And they will. Mm-hmm. Uh, re- I, I mean, I've seen intermarriage, like, but less frequently than East Asians. But then, like, in terms of their family networks, like, it's way. I think it's way stronger than Jewish. I, I don't. I haven't seen. I mean, I've seen inside a Jewish family and like, there's nothing like how my Indian friend, like that they like bring each other in and like, it's a whole clan thing, you know? And I think that they would bring along, I think they would bring along, you know, their caste system values. It'd be interesting, like how they would implement or, you know, how, other non-Indian non-Indian races would like fit into like an Indian caste system if if they're in control of it. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean like I would expect that they'd have a pretty strong in-group preference higher than, than Jews do. And as they get more power and influence that they'll be more likely to hire their own group than out groups. Yeah. And then we'll be like everyone has to like pledge to the Indian flag. You know, or you can't like you can't support the Kashmiri uh, independence movement. <laughs> I, I don't think they'll be as effective as the Israel lobby. You think because of the skin color? No, because I just don't think they're as effective. And, and because uh, Christianity shares a Bible with us, so that, that's part of the reason why the Israel lobby is so powerful. Like Hinduism it, you know, it seems much more strange to, to your average American than Jews. But Hinduism is like, well, at least the way you're taught as a child, like it's a polytheistic religion. Like, isn't it more accommodating of, they don't, they don't need you to believe what they believe, you know? Right. I just don't see, I mean, the Israel lobby is, has, is unique. I mean, there's no other ethnic lobby that's been as powerful in, in the United States history. I don't, I don't see the Indian lobby being after match that that level of power yeah by the way have you watched effective have you watched um germans and jews on i think it's on netflix or uh have you seen that no what's it about i just watched the trailer uh it was like jews are moving back into berlin basically it or i have no idea how many but like the story is about and it's like a bunch of them <laughs> being like, you know, these Germans, they have a lot to like think about. <laughs> and, it's just like, and it's just like, you know, and, and they talk to some Germans, but the whole thing is so, it's so clear where we're headed with this whole thing. And it's like, you know. <sighs> Germany needs to become multicultural, bro, or it's not going to learn to survive. Jews are going to play a key role in helping Germany to become multicultural. Yeah, they are. And, you know, it's like you, you see this and in, in what they promote. And it's like, I just can't. I think the thing about the JQ is like the, 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 the or red pilling or whatever is like you realize these truths about like how things really work and then like you're really making a choice like it's like you can't the red pill is like the tree of of good of good and evil mm-hmm. how, where, damaging, like, be, how, 
How damaging have you seen it either for yourself or people you've known? I don't know. How damaging is eating the, from the tree of knowledge? Okay, very damaging. You die, right? Mm-hmm. But it's like one of those things where you – because you have to choose – like you're basically confronted with how do I square this with like my principles as an American, like as an American or as like a member of my group, like of, cause I don't just stand alone. Like I come from a family and I have mm-hmm. cousins. Okay. Like at a minimum, yeah. I definitely identify with out to my second cousins. Definitely. You know? Yeah. And, um, how, how can you like sort of see how the world really works and then like, just go, eh, I'm cool with it. You know what I mean? That's that's like a death. You're like that's a death choice. That's you know. And no, I, 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 accepting reality is not a death choice. Accepting reality is a, a life choice. So you should be cool with those things that you don't control, which is ninety nine point nine 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 percent of reality. Well, that's true too. In that, no, I and I agree with you, and I have like. This is why I don't come up. This is why I don't have a YouTube channel, right? Like I don't, I don't need to talk about, I, I've already decided how I feel about a lot of things. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I'm constantly learning and, and it changes, but like, um, I don't, I don't talking about it. Like I, I can, it definitely spreads it. And like, that is valuable. I, I guess, like, I think I have the truth and I like to share it, but it's like I don't want to live in that headspace. You know, the reason I chose the Charles Johnson Respector moniker for tonight mm-hmm. was I was listening. By the way, I just I can't. I love uh, Richard on Spaces. I don't know why. I mean, no, very good. the way he treats the way mm-hmm. he treats the plebs is my favorite mm-hmm. part. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> he's like, excuse me, excuse me, you're talking far too long. This is not your show. I don't yeah. even know you. Uh, goodbye. Yeah, this was a mistake. Next, <laughs> like, yes, and and so he has Chuck on, and they're talking about they're talking about Ian Miles Chong being like an agit prop, like he doesn't even live in America. You know, it's interesting. I've come to understand at least like Charles and Richard is kind of being like they actually like I think they identify with like the Yankee Empire, mm-hmm. like the flag like they crushed the south and like they deserve to be on top but like them and not these israelis mm-hmm. and the, you know what i mean like he's mm-hmm. always talking about the israelis and so he's like ian miles chong wants you to worry about that instead of the fact that really we should be deporting ben shapiro <laughs> I, like, I mean okay now i get where you're coming from in terms of <laughs> like I don't know. I, I mostly on an amusing and ironic level, but they, uh, I don't so know. How come you didn't destroy your life with the red pill while many people did? So to whatever extent you made some good de- decisions with regard to the red pill that I'm, helped you I'm, not see, destroy your is, life. I'm, I'm untouchable. Do? I'm untouchable in that mm-hmm. I work, I work for my own company. Mm-hmm. and I do services for, like, one client, and, like, I don't, you know, I don't, like, I don't, I don't, you know, it's, like, my identity, this is not, like, 
you know, PWC's website or something where you like, or, you know, some big company and you um, look up the directory of who works there and things like that. Like I'm out, I'm outside of, I'm outside of that. And I think that like, I think going quiet, I mean, just getting off the internet. See, I just like, I don't know, man. I, I, I just went too, I, I wouldn't say I went too hard, but in, it sounds like, I feel like I was t- too good at it, at like that subject. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like the shows David and I were doing and, and that you and I did. And like, we were really good at that subject. Like no one has mm-hmm. done it like us. Yeah. Okay. And, but it's like the most dangerous one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's why we were big fish or we're, yeah, we're swimming in a small pond. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but like, I think, I think it was good to stop doing that. And I think, uh, I mean, I also, I, I think the biggest thing is the, um, is like where I, where I worked. I mean, if you work at big companies, gosh, I was just talking to somebody you know, I was like, so how many people, you know, she's in her mid twenties, works at a major, like fortune 500 company. How, how, how many white guys are, do you work with? Well, you know, out of, you know, 50, like a couple. So are they gay? Well, two are like two out of three. Right. And it's like, yeah, I mean, that's kind of my vibe. Like, this is like the vibe that when I went, I mean, when I went back to DC, like after moving, I was, it was probably 18 months and I went to like the mall in like a liberal Montgomery County. Okay. In Bethesda. And I, I just remember walking through, um, well, first of all, I walked through Macy's and it was like Nigeria. It was like Nigeria and Bangladesh. Like, like it was crazy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was like, Oh, this is why I go through Nordstrom. Okay. Because every time I always go through Nordstrom and it's it's a totally different experience. But so Macy's is like totally, you know, different. Okay. And then I go into the food court and like, I just dawned on me, like, I didn't see like a single white guy under 50 that wasn't like some sort of gender, like androgynous, like, some, you know what I mean? Like just yeah. queer in, on some level. And it's like, what is going on here? You know? And it's just like someone who, like a dis, like, you know, an alt-right or dissident right figure, like someone in this scene is a white guy that is like the anathema to that whole thing. And like, you can't survive if you have a whiff of that, you know? Unless you're like the guy in charge and are unassailable. You know, and you're not going to find that in a university system. There's no like dictator that can survive that kind of stuff, you know? It's like the whole system is just, I don't know. You know, America is still, America is still a cool place. I tell you this, like where I live, it's like, it's like, I see people that look like me nonstop. And like demographically we are, um, it's not like the whitest city. This is not Vermont. You know what I mean? This is not Vermont. This is the, the South where like blacks are 40% of the population, you know, but like, you don't, 
really see him unless you want to see him, you know. And uh, they don't really want to see you either, you know. And, like, there's no animosity and, like, there's never conflict or, like, feelings of unsafety, like, even in communal spaces with them. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, uh, like, everything's clean and it functions and – you know, it's a great place. Like there's land, like, yeah, I live in a city. Like I don't have to go, but 15 minutes and I can buy like dozens of acres for reasonable prices. You know what I mean? Like if you're in Europe, I mean, where are you going to (laughs) go? You know, nowhere to go. And so I think, I think we're still, I'm, I'm proud to be an American. What about you, Luke? Uh, I'm less proud than I was before the overfill ruling. I mean, that really hit me hard. No, me too. It was the turning point. That was a turning point for me. It was was the turning point. That's when I realized that they – because the whole thing about my Republican identity was the Constitution. Like, I really believed Mm -hmm. in that shit, and people Mm -hmm. really do. Like Mm – they really do. And it's like, that is the thing that is the American identity. And that's the thing that like, sometimes see, this is why like mold bug is like a bad guy. Okay. Because mold bug is like, tears that up for people. And I, I, I don't know if he's a bad, but he does tear that up. And like, when that's gone, you know, you can like really fill with a lot of darkness, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I try to remember that, like, really what I want is the restoration of that. You know, it's like someone, it might have been Richard, like, made some comment one time about how, like, America is a republic. Like, the American identity is a republican. Like, you know, yeah, maybe we'd like a dict- temporary dictator, like the Roman system. <laughs> you know what I mean? But fundamentally, it is a republic. Like, that's who we are. I, I vote, I have that responsibility as a citizen. And, you know, unfortunately, like the, the whole thing has been like twisted into like a third world democracy, you know? Uh, So do do, do you agree with me that uh, people should get their primary meaning in life from their family? And if you are into politics, I mean, it should be because you enjoy it. It shouldn't be because you have delusions that you're going to change, you know, an enormous nation like the United States. Yeah, I mean, that's, well, two things. One, um, I think that, yeah, the family is first. Like, the real world is the most important. Like, just period. You can't do anything outside your house. Like, if you if you don't have, like, a million dollars in the bank, like, what can you say? Like, you, uh, you can't, you can't have free speech without, true freedom and this is like why the only people who could you had to meet property requirements to vote at the beginning because Mm -hmm. like how could you truly speak if you're someone else's bitch like you need that job like if you need that job then you can't be free you you don't have free speech you know sure the government can't get you it depends on the prestige of the job if you're a cleaner or someone who's doing a low prestige job 
yeah, you can say pretty much anything. Nobody really cares. Well, but they're... right, and no one's going to listen. But I'm saying like effective speech. Like here's the thing: like we wouldn't; those people don't get canceled, right? But like, let's just let's just say. I mean, I don't know that we're that important, but but maybe like someone did want to cancel us because they perceived that we were uh, effective, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like why why you have to conceal videos because people want to shut you up? Like they're not doing that to like flat earthers. Okay. Yeah. So, um, so I think like it's really not that much of a de- like Nick Fuentes was just some guy making a show. Like, if you want to make a show every night, like, I mean, really, if you had followed a certain path, like, you could have a major viewership. Like, you you could have been right. Mm-hmm. You made a different choice because you wanted yeah. your real world but you could have been someone that made a little dent like you made some cultural impact yeah not that you haven't i think you have you have like think about dude how many thousands of people have been influenced dude tens of thousands tens of thousands of people know about you in this context (laughs) e michael jones who who turned e michael jones onto the jq (laughs) <laughs> but, 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 but dude, think about the hundreds. Okay, we're talking about that. Like, how many people know who Duvid is? Right. And know the things, like, not the words necessarily, but like the ideas. Dude, the conversations we had here, like, affected the conversations on other channels and vice versa, like, in some, in, in some way. But I'm saying you could have chosen to, like, actually lean into that and, like, risen to the level of someone who death you know directly influences culture perhaps but anyway so so it's not really a question of like oh it's just this futile and like attempt to turn the ship like we can't all be napoleon you know and and but people do have an impact in some way but of course you don't really (laughs) <laughs> you know what your impact is kind of matters too. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, oh yeah, <laughs> I'm the yeah. Jerry Springer. I'm the Jerry Springer of the JQ. <laughs> and also, I, I to the extent I have an impact, I, I don't want it to be a, a negative one. Sure, so, exactly. Exactly. You know, I kind of I bend over backwards. If, if I have an effect on someone, then I'd rather it not be towards aiding them in self destruction. Well, but I think this is where, like, I think, listen, I always told dude, I said, listen, the thing is, is, like, people are drawn in by, like, the boldness of what you say. Mm-hmm. But, like, the f- very fact of you saying it is, like, endearing and humanizing. And, like, I think in a lot of ways, like, this is the thing about accountability to of leadership. Like, I think it would be very cathartic if... Like we knew, like that this that this system acknowledged like who is fucking up, you know what I mean? Who's yeah. letting everybody in? Like who's bringing about the misery through the financialization of the economy? Like who? Where the 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 source of these decisions? You know? Yeah, and, Jews you know, benefit from accurate criticism. Jews are better for receiving accurate criticism. Just I agree. Like every group is better for receiving accurate criticism. There should be free open discussion of groups including jews blacks gays 
Protestants, Catholics, every group deserves free, open criticism. Absolutely. And, and the thing is, is like, you know, we don't live in an autocracy where you can like point to a single person or party or some some hierarchy of power for for accountability. It's, you know, it's it's managed by networks and networks are largely kin based. There is some crossover, but it's always going to be dominated by kin kin associations. And like there is someone at the heart of it. There is someone at the heart of it, period. And uh, and if we can't name a person because it's not a person, it's a network, like then you have to like judge the network. You know, maybe we just need a new network. And that doesn't mean we have to like eradicate the existing network. It's just just like wasps have, still have homes in New Hampshire. Nobody's eradicating the wasps and they've sort of like stepped aside. Like, right? And also there's an ideological component to the network. You have to hold certain beliefs to have prestigious positions. So there's there's not just an ethnic component, there's an ideological component. So right-wing Jews who stand with Stephen Miller are not going to move ahead in the elite halls of power in the United States unless something extraordinary happens like a Donald Trump election. Right, because they represent a rival network, right? Mm-hmm. They're a rival network that's not as strong as the existing network. And, and and you're right that obviously it's it is like a it's just like the liberal capitalist class and like mixed with like military industrial complex and like yeah, there still is like a large wasp component, no doubt, right? Yeah. And um I don't know, it's it's sort of like Judeo Anglo. You know, and it is secular, right? I mean, the, the mm-hmm. religious Jews are actually, like, in that right wing. That, that's a separate network. That's a Netanyahu network. That probably, that was the lobby that had way more influence 20 years ago. And they got discredited by the Iraq War. Right? Uh, and then the Obama click virtually in, all... I, I feel like oh, the oh. Obama-Biden click is, like, is, like, this... Jewish liberal click. I mean, have you seen that photo of like all the Jewish White House workers like on the steps? Have you seen that, by the way? I don't like, think it, I have. It was, it was like um, within the last three months. It was like they were staying outside the White House, like, "Hey, happy Passover, Passover, maybe." Like some for some reason, it was like, "Look at all the Jews who look work at the White House," and it's like five hundred people, and it's like that building's not that big. <laughs> like, what? You know what I mean? Um, yeah, and, and every major Jewish organization in 2003 supported the invasion of Iraq. So I don't think that was inconsequential. Right. And so. pretty much every major Jewish organization supports considerable social media censorship. And pretty much every major Jewish organization in the United States supports high numbers of immigrants and subsidizing those immigrants. With which I disagree, obviously. For sure. Um, dude, what else has been in the news that's been fun? What do you think about that Titanic situation? Uh, that Wow, that, that grabbed people's attention. And I think J.F. Garapi made a good point that the billionaire behind it, he was very public and vocal that he didn't want white men working on his operation. Yeah, I know. And it's just, 
Ugh, whatever. Well, ironically, he still had a white guy as the pilot. But yeah, yeah. he like says these things. He yeah. doesn't believe them. Yeah. He doesn't believe them. But, you know, actually, sorry, that it brings me to uh, it brought to mind uh, RFK. OK, mm-hmm. so. I mean, isn't he Trump from the left? I mean, he's the real yes. Trump. Bernie was not Trump. Yeah. He, he is. Yeah. And I think yeah. he's going to win. I don't think it's going to be close. Yeah. I think it's over already. Like he's because I saw this and I and I came to this conclusion 10 minutes before I got on here. OK. He post you look up his look up his page. He posted something about climate change, basically like moving to the Senate, like a very like we're not. He goes. Climate change is used for fear, controlled by corporations like corporations want you to pay for what they do, you Mm -hmm. know, for their pollution. Mm -hmm. And. uh, I. uh, It's like coming from a Democrat come from a democrat when like yeah. they're so used to, i honestly democrats are probably so thirsty for someone to like not preach the fucking like the the gospel about like the shit they believe in just like conservative like ramaswamy today talking about oh well america's i'm actually an american nationalist and i think that's a commitment to the ideals of the constitution and it's like man fuck off that shit has passed and everybody knows it you know what i mean i mean it's powerful but, like, we don't, you know, it's okay to criticize George W. Bush. You know what I mean? It's okay mm-hmm. to, like, treat Al Gore like what he is, which is a fucking uh, sleazy, uh, you know, con man. So, as far, you know, it's interesting. I, I, talked, to, I talked to my son the other day about, you know, of course, like, he was three years old when Donald Trump got elected. So like, Mm -hmm. all he knows is like Trump, Trump, Trump. Right. And Mm -hmm. he like, and I do appreciate that. He sort of viscerally hates Democrats. Like I did want to instill that because I think they're horrendous. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I don't, I mean, I don't like the GOP per se, Mm -hmm. but Democrats in general, just horrible. Mm -hmm. And, but like when I told him one time, like he asked me who I was going to vote for after 2020, and I was like, um, we're even, I think, going into 2020. He's like, yeah, you're going to vote for Trump, right? And I was like, well, I'm not sure. He's locked this down. He's putting Dr. Fauci on TV. I don't know. Oh, Dad, how can you? What? A, you know what I mean? Like, like totally blown away. And so we had this conversation last week about, like, listen, buddy. Like, yeah, Democrats are unfat. You know, I can't think of it. But, like. The R means nothing to me, too. So, like, just because someone's a Republican or Donald Trump's running again doesn't mean that he deserves my vote this time. Like, we're not – you should never look at it that way. You know what I mean? That's how you get played. But – and I explained to him I had never voted except for Donald Trump. But RFK – I mean, I don't know that I would actually vote. And, I mean, the state I'm in, I, I don't think it matters anyway. Mm-hmm. But – I think that I just how genuine is the guy like these campaigns, these campaigns are such bullshit that it's like, I mean, maybe I'm just being played by him. He's, he's just picking a lane, right? He's just deciding this is the lane I'm going to go in or does he actually believe it or can he actually do something along these lines? 
Well, I, I can't imagine he's going to have any success, but you think he's actually going to have success? Oh, I think he's going to win. But, well, here, okay, here's the other thing. So Donald Trump, all right, we talked about how, like, even a right-wing coalition of Jews would have a hard time, like, infiltrating the bureaucracy in the deep state, right? Yep, yep. Okay, but a Democrat, like, basically, the country can almost only be led from the Democrat Party, or at least right now. Mm-hmm. It's like a Democrat president can, like, turn the ship, you know? Because, like, it's their party that's in charge. Like, we have a, like, a one-and-a-half-party state. It's been that way since World War II. Um, even when there's been Republican presidents, like, they don't, they enact, they, they basically, like, lend bi- bipartisan credibility to, like, what the Democrats want to do, you know? No, that's Democrats their role. control virtually all our institutions. From right. education to government bureaucracy to legal to health to psychology, they pretty much run all our institutions. But, like, the thing is, is, like, Donald Trump, if, if – I think Donald Trump did more damage – well, Donald Trump put more of a nail in the – basically, Donald Trump brought us trannies because Donald Trump, like, becoming president and him folding on – uh, gays, like basically leaves no defenses. It's one thing for like Obama to like be preaching to white, to, to Republicans about how they need to accept gays. Like it, we wouldn't even be on to trannies. We'd still be litigating a Burgerfell. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But because like the Republican like drops their guard, it's like, oh, you know, it's over. And that's all they do. They can't do anything else. You know, they get some tax cuts for like, you know, these Fox News eunuchs. So. Oh, what about abortion? Abortion was overturned by Roe v. Wade was overturned. I mean, that was a huge Supreme Court ruling made possible by Trump's appointment of three conservative justices. No, I think it's a huge thing. I mean, yeah, I guess. And, and and maybe and maybe the tide is turning on the rainbow flag. Like I tell you this, my neighborhood's still like all the way through the month, like a few more popped up, but it was less this year than it was last year. And I feel like that's a win. Yeah, I think for the first time Republicans are winning on culture war issues. Like in my lifetime, they've always lost on culture war. Yeah. I that's always been my perception too. And that's really the only war that matters, you know? Yeah. Because I just think, like, you know, let me ask you, like, do you think that, like, the col- there's, like, a collective effect of, like, aborting babies on, like, that on the s- sort of, like, the yeah, fate of the posterity of that nation? Well, I- I'd say there are definitely externalities. Yeah, it, it affects people more than just the would-be mother and the the baby yeah i do there's think a, it and there's, a, there's some there's some eugenic or dis like hard hard to say actually exactly how it plays out genetically right but there's some effect yeah and but like like i'm saying just more like spiritually like you basically have all these people yeah. you have how many killing. how many millions of women have killed killing. their babies yeah yeah it definitely has a, an effect on the the culture on the the morality 
on the the spiritual ambiance of a, a nation. Because because how many women, like how many a women third, have almost been made into Democrats, been made mm-hmm. into Democrats by having had abortions at young ages? Mm-hmm. They it like changed their identities. Yeah, you know. So it's like a number one issue for a lot of women. Like free, easy access to abortion. Yeah. And I think, uh, I guess I will give, I guess I will give Trump that. And also that ruling that uh, that web designer didn't have to create web designs for same-sex couples or whatever, that uh, there are some no First Amendment freedom of exclusion where you don't have to lend your talents to things that you find appalling. Yeah, but they, they never did that with the cupcakes. I mean, I wonder, I guess that overrules the cupcakes. You remember that one? Yeah. I don't know how that all works, but I will say that, I mean, there there, there are good things. I just, I can't see myself supporting Trump. I think that like, I think that what happened on January 6th was appalling and probably not for the same reasons that you do, but I think he like completely discredited himself and, um, and I think Ron DeSantis for any Republican over any Democrat. So not even RFK. I can't stand RFK. Why do you hate RFK? His voice. I, his I, voice I is no. no I don't believe a, in. I don't believe in any of the what I regard as conspiracy theories that he he spouts. I I would one hundred times prefer Joe Biden to RFK Jr. <laughs> really? Yeah, I believe that COVID vaccines work. I don't believe that the CIA. So that's killed... like the issue for you. That's like a deal breaker. Yeah. Doesn't the, that seem like minor? Like it's in the past, isn't it? Ah, uh, but it's representative to me of a particular worldview. Which is? Which is conspiratorial. Which meaning conspiratorial against the the conventional evidence. Obviously, there are conspiracies. I'm meaning it in the colloquial sense that, you know, there's some, you know, dark hidden forces, such as the, the CIA killed uh, President John F. Kennedy. The CIA may have killed his, his father, Robert Kennedy. <clears throat> and but you don't, the, you, the ab- wait, let me ask you, like, you think that's mm-hmm. not possible? You don't think? Absolutely not ki- possible. Not even 0.01%. You think it was strictly Lee Harvey Oswald? There is a possibility when he was in Mexico City six weeks before the assassination that something happened between him and the Russian embassy and the Cuban embassy, but nobody would would knowingly choose Lee Harvey Oswald to do anything significant, like he was like a total loser. But there's a possibility that something happened in Mexico City that may have played a role. I'm open to that. I mean, I'm not. A, I'm not an expert. I would. I would assume that RFK Jr. has looked at the evidence more closely than either of us. I, um, yeah. But I. I would say that. Um, I don't. For you to say point zero one percent seems awfully strong. Yeah, I mean, it, it's one of my hobby horses. Like I, I probably read over thirty books on the assassination, and I. I you just, should do. Have you reached mm-hmm. out to RFK? One, he could use an Alexander Tech. Get him on yeah. about his book, <laughs> and then offer him an Alexander Technique. Be like, tell me about your your dude. It would be the greatest. <laughs> send him. Send him an email. 
Yeah. What's the harm? We've got a show. You got six thousand followers. <laughs> I could probably get Vivek Ramaswamy on the show too. Do it. Why not? Yeah. See, that's cre- that would bring you b- benefits at Shul. Yes. <laughs> you could do it. That honestly, I want to see Luke Ford versus RFK on on the VQ. I mean, that would be <laughs> bl- blood sports. I mean, that'd be amazing. Yeah. Hmm. Write write that email. <laughs> um. Anyway. Okay, bro. Great to chat with you again. Yeah, I'll talk to you. Take care. Bye bye. Yeah.